Previously on Someone Listening In, a drug deal gone wrong. There's no turning back now, man. A million bucks worth of heroin in my trunk, and the Eastside crew are all dead. Except for Fatsy Pimpin. You know he's coming for us, man. And no one survives an ambush from Fatsy. Well, I say, bring it on. A computer virus run amok. Plug in the escape program and reroute the mainframe. Don't you think I've tried that? The circumnavigator is fried and their firewall lit up our macrochip receiver. Damn it, Mike, you said you were the best hacker in Cleveland. I am. Recircuiting their antivirus to divert their assets into the neural web. It's gonna be close. Access granted. Oh my god. We cracked it, Mac. The world is finally ours. And an unexpected romance blossoms. Mike, I... I took it. I took the pregnancy test. Oh yeah? Yeah. Look, two blue lines. It's positive. Mike, I'm gonna have a beautiful baby. Oh, Mac. Before you get too excited, I also peed on that pregnancy test right before you took it. Wait a minute. So, so you mean... But that means... You guessed it. We're both pregnant. Together. Mike, this is the happiest day of my life. What will happen? Will they or won't they? And who will die? die. How will it end? You're about to find out. We now present the series finale of Someone Listening In. You are now listening to Someone Listening In, a podcast about the musical group Radiohead, by Mike Driscoll and Mac Hoskins. Greetings! And welcome to another episode of Someone Listening In, the only podcast about Radiohead. As always, I'm Mac Hoskins, and joining me is my co-host, Mike Driscoll. Mike, how's it going? Hey, Mac. Good to good to hear from you. Good to hear from you every once in a while. Yeah, it's good catching up. Uh, and it looks like, uh, as uh, as has already been alluded to previously in this episode, uh, this, this is going to be the last time for a while. Last episode of uh, of this year podcast. Oh, we should have brought the soundboard back and got a boom. <laughs> sound. Yeah. Well, we don't have the budget for that. Uh, real quick before, uh, actually, yeah, real quick before we introduce our guests. Uh, so Radiohead's in the news. I don't want to make too much of it, but uh, you hear about this Pete Buttigieg guy? Yeah. Seen this? You seen yeah. this? You heard about this? You, well, you sent it to me today. Yeah. So uh, he's a he's a Democratic, uh, you know, uh, potential presidential nominee, and uh, he loves Radiohead apparently, and his favorite album is Hail to the Thief, just like us. Nice. Glad to have his support. I don't know anything about him. Uh, he's okay. He doesn't support Medicare for all, so I don't like him. But okay. I mean, he's fine. <laughs> I he kind of strikes me as like he's like me, like he's a lot like me, and I don't think I should be the president. <laughs> so that's okay. uh, my take on that, I guess. Um, so by that, you don't mean that we should have a hospital system. Um, you believe that, um, intercourse with animals should be legalized. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Just checking. Okay. 
Well, our guests can chime in on that matter as well, because we have, for the first time, not one, but two wonderful guests joining us in the studio today to talk about a big album by Radiohead. It's the last one. We've been saving it for the last, and it's going to be a good convo. So without further ado, uh, allow me to introduce our guest for today. Uh, first off, we have our good friend, wonderful poet, amazing person, Julia Rocks is joining us once more. Julia, how's it going? Oh, thank you. I thought you were about to talk about Joe. Um, I... No, Joe's a terrible poet. <laughs> That's and Joe, you're thing. Joe. You're not allowed to talk yet. You haven't been introduced. I wasn't sure who you were going to say until you said a wonderful poet. Said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm flattered, and I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. You're uh, you were on our uh, in Rainbow's episode, which was wonderful. You brought some great some great insight to that, and uh, you're one of our best friends. And it's it's great to have you on. So. In addition to Julia, we have a we have a tagger on, uh, uh, you know the the elephant in the room, uh, his, big big baby needed his last chance on the podcast, begged us to be on. Uh, also, oh. Joe, you have You also, oh. Joe, you also never Venmoed me like you said you were going to for uh, letting us have you on the podcast one more time. Joe Koshar oh. is here, everybody. Joe Koshar, welcome back. Hey. When you were introducing Julia, you said wonderful poet. I thought you were going to say wonderful pope, and then it would be me. Oh, oh yeah. I'm such a good, such a good pope. Best pope you, are a, you are a good pope. and Oh, I'm a pope. <laughs> That's what the pope sounds like. Oh, I'm a pope. Oh, I'm the pope. Oh, I'm the pope. <laughs> All right. Why? <laughs> Why your shitty your shitty Mac microphone oh. is so annoying. We should address this. So especially when you scream, we had some technical goofs um, before this episode. So technical difficulties. It was after like fifteen minutes of trying to figure out figure it out. Uh, for some reason, my microphone was pitched down and kept glitching. So it was sounded really funny. Throw in from we, uh, throw in some audio that you recorded in there. I'll I will I'll throw it in at the end. It, yeah. It sounded like a like there was water dripping on Mac's mic, and his voice was just slightly lower than it should have been. It was <laughs> so guys, I gotta change my interface. <laughs> oh, so we have actual XLR cable. So uh, my computer was not being okay; it was being a bad boy. Um, but we made it work. Whoa, um, dude! You can't give away the album title. <laughs> uh, oops, I'm a bad boy. Um, just like my computer, which is a bad computer, not an okay computer. Um, also, Joe, I I came really close to. We have so much else going on in this episode, but I really wanted to do an, a segment that was uh, the toast of Joe Koshar, where we just complimented you. <laughs> oh man, that'd have been so nice. Um, yeah, it got cut for time, but yeah, it was, not, it not was worth the time. Uh, no problem, uh, J- Joe. You are you're a great friend and great musician in it. And it is, it's excellent to have you on as always. And it, and thanks for being on so many episodes of this podcast with us. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's been four. Wow. Yeah. This will be, this will be four. Yeah. I think. Man, that's crazy. I'll, Ven- I'll Venmo you after this episode. Okay, cool. Yeah. Don't forget to do that. I'll send you a, a pay request so you can just, it'll be easy for you. <clears throat> great. Oh, all right. Well, we got a lot to cover, so I think we should get into it. 
Um, well, we have one album left to cover by Radiohead. And, of course, when we have an album to cover by Radiohead, there's another band we like to look at, too, in, in the context of history. So it's time once again, for the last time, our popular segment, What Was Limp Biscuit Up To?, where we look at the year this album was released, we look at what was happening in the world through through um, the wise lenses of history. We see what was happening, and most importantly, what was Limp Biscuit up to that year? So, so we we're we've been on this voyage of of seeing what Limp Biscuit's been doing year by year as Radiohead was kind of um, um, you know this this side by side comparison, and it's a doozy of a year for Limp Biscuit. I'm happy to say. But, as always, we're going to check in with what was happening with the rest of the world first. So the year, 1997. When I say 1997, what's the first thing you guys think of? Anybody? Oh, God. I don't know if I can think back that far. Kindergarten. What? Kindergarten? Really? Is it kindergarten? I guess it is. I would have been six, so... Some of you guys would have been five or yeah, six. Yeah, I, I, well, we're like the same class. Yeah, so it would have. I think it would have been kindergarten. I think you're right. Man, wow. Oh well, while we were in kindergarten, um, <laughs> bouncing the, balls back and forth, yeah, bouncing balls back and forth. Um, a, an Oscar for best picture was bounced back and forth on stage and awarded to the English Patient was the best picture winner in 1997 and that movie fucking sucks it's not good so don't watch it um the grammy for album of the year went to celine dion um for falling into you beating the album we're talking about today which was also nominated wow bummer of a year yeah i mean i'm not celine dion is not i'm not her audience but there's worse artists to lose to than celine dion I think uh, definitely later on as uh, Radiohead's career continues, there's definitely worse people that have won. Uh, I agree. Well, in the world this year, on January 20th, Bill Clinton was sworn in as president of the United States for the second time. Um, sometime between March 24th and March 26th, uh, the Heaven's Gate cult um, enacted their mass suicide, leaving 39 cultists dead. Maybe the most famous, uh, you know, cult uh, tragedy in history, unless you count the Charles Manson murders, I guess. But... Is that the Kool-Aid one? Yeah, that was the Kool-Aid one. They had the white Nikes, that whole deal. Um, Wonderful branding. Yeah, Very good strong. branding. Man, <laughs> I just read this really funny Rolling Stone Wu-Tang Clan interview from 1997 where their Heaven's Gate comes up and they start making fun of their taste in shoes. <laughs> The Wu-Tang Clan does. Oh my god. It's really funny. <clears throat> oh, well, um, on April 21st, the remains of 24 people are launched into space on a rocket, being the first ever space burial. 24 people were buried in space for the first time. I did not hear that the right way or think of that the right way. I thought it was like a murder. <laughs> <laughs> no, the remains of 24 people. <laughs> <laughs> 24 astronauts were butchered on board and then they couldn't stop the rocket launch they stored them in the, the fuel tank 
Um, what about you guys? Anybody here think being buried in space is a good idea? I think it's a good idea because I think cemeteries are a waste of land. No, I sir. disagree because then your body doesn't go back to the earth. Then you don't. Your, nu- your, nut- your nutrients leave the atmosphere and no longer provide nutrients for the earth. That's true. That's like that the one true. and only way that you cannot be recycled on Earth. Do you guys yeah. want to hear? Do you guys want to hear how I'm gonna? I'm gonna die. I'm gonna, <laughs> Get married. I know how you're gonna so, die, baby boy. So, so when I die, I'm taking my body. I'm getting cremated, and I'm putting all my ashes. Well, someone's gonna do this for me, obviously. Putting all my ashes into little pepper packets, and then every time you go to a diner, you just leave one and put it in the uh, little pepper tray. So wow. People sprinkle a little sprinkle a little yeah. bit of me on their food. I feel like that's probably a serious felony. Uh, well, I'm dead, so I'm not going to get in trouble. Well, you won't get in trouble for it. <laughs> I'm just not going to tell anybody. I'm going to say I'm going to tell one person to pay him a lot of money, and they're going to send it out to a bunch of people, a bunch of restaurants, and nobody will ever mm. realize it until a bunch of people get sick because of. And then I'm just going to say, "Ah, Joe." He's our little pepper. <laughs> <laughs> big pepper, don't you mean? That'll, that'll go that down. Big, you there. mean big pope? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Big pope. Little pepper Joe. Big pope. <laughs> Scientists study it. Uh, never mind. I had a joke I was going to make that was too mean to Joe, so I'm not going to make it. <laughs> this is the toast to Joe episode. Yeah, this is the toast to Joe episode. Um, okay, so I'll do the opposite joke. Scientists will study the pepper and be like, I've never seen pepper with such low fat content. <laughs> Fuck off, Mac. That's the... That was I just compliment. toasted you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I'm sorry, Joe. That's mean. Uh, I, you have a beautiful body. You're a handsome man. All right. Toast. I know. It doesn't mean we have to lie to him. <laughs> God. <laughs> I didn't want it to be like this, Joe. <laughs> well, you you bring it upon yourself. Oh Joe. man. Oh well. Um, si- on- like Joe's Joe's thing is silent. <laughs> Joe's feel- audio waveform is just flat. <laughs> feeling pretty let down, dude. His audio waveform is flatter than his stomach. Jeez, dude, let down and hanging around. Oh man, uh, December nineteenth. Crush like a little December, mug in the ground. December nineteenth, James Cameron's film Titanic premiered in the United States, becoming the highest-grossing film of all time, adjusted for inflation. Anyone see that movie in the theaters? I did not. I did no. not see it in theaters. There's boobies in that movie. Yeah, I was not allowed. Yeah, I think that was the first boob I ever saw, though. I bet that was true for a lot of our generation. Yeah. First boobs. <laughs> Definitely. That was not, I mean, you saw boobs probably before that, but. Definitely like not advertised as like a movie where you would be seeing boobs. That's for sure. Dude, that's like this, like one of those movies as a kid, like you're like, I know there's boobs in this movie, but it's not like a porno. So you like try to get your parents to let you watch it so you can see the boobs. See that one scene so you can get a red rocket for like a minute. It, I don't think they actually. Sh- I think it's just a painting. No, no you, you see him. Yeah, I've gone back and checked. Believe me. Well, I've only seen it on TV in the past. Google like, it right now. Year, so, all right, sorry. Google Titanic boobs right now. <laughs> you're gonna get gigantic. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get pictures of uh, Pamela Anderson. Titanic <laughs> boobs. Titanic. <laughs> 
Also, it says here the name of the iceberg that the Titanic crashed into was named Joe Koshar. <laughs> man, even without a proper mic, you're still you're still hot on it, Mac. Jeez. I'm on fire, baby. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, I just, just I can't say I'm fucking sorry, grow just... up seriously. <laughs> I'm actually mad. I am actually mad. Yeah, I can tell. Oh, I'm boy. only going to Venmo you for half now. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. Give him that. That's still three hundred dollars. I'll take it. <laughs> all right. All right. Born in 1997, actress Chloe Moritz, influencer Kylie Jenner. And rappers Cupcake and Kodak Black. Um, I knew one of those names, and I'm upset with the one name that I knew. I know all of them. I'm not very familiar with either of the rappers, but Chloe Moritz is a good actress. Oh, I hear Joe's cork popping. That means he's opening some scotch. I just finished a tall glass of milk. And I'm, scotch. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, hey, Chloe, Chloe Moritz uh, was in uh, the Suspiria remake scored by Tom York. How about that? Oh, maybe. Okay, I guess I do know who that is. Then. We're making connections here. She probably listened to OK Computer in the womb and then <laughs> said, I want this guy to score my movie. Yeah, I don't know that it was. Uh, okay. <laughs> Died in 1997. Um, folk musician Towns Van Zant. Um, rapper, the Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, that dude ruled, rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, Towns Van Zandt was great too, but, you know, Biggie Smalls obviously died, uh, well before his time. Um, Jimmy Stewart, actor, beloved American actor, and, um, Princess Diana also died before her time. Rest in peace to all those who died in 1997. <laughs> I guess that's how I wrap that one up. You're like laughing through that segment. Uh, that's nice. Um, <clears throat> Billboard top five songs of 1997. Number one. Oh, I meant to look up why this was. Number one was Elton John's Candle in the Wind. Isn't that song from the 70s? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know Elton John's music that well. Well, his 70s were his, and 80s were his heyday. Um. I think all three of us are on it, or all four of us are on it right now. All four of us looking this up. I looked up Candlewood Sweets on accident, so somebody's going to beat me to it. Oh, wow. Um, I hear myself echoing from somebody. Um, In 1997, Elton John performed a rewritten version of the song as a tribute to Princess Diana. Ah. So that must have been what charted, which which is funny because another one of the top five songs is... Puff Daddy and Faith Evans, I'll Be Missing You, which is a tribute to Biggie Smalls. Hmm. So right. two, two of these songs on the top five are tributes to people I just mentioned who died. It sounds like people I'm were just, very emotional back in 97. I th- yeah. I think that's it's a nice uh, sentiment, but I don't think that you're allowed to win by just rewriting a song yeah. that you already had written years and years ago. That's just well, that's one of the things that's like, I mean, that's a good song. But that's definitely one of the things where it's like, you know, like proud to be an American charting after 9-11. It's like you're listening to it for the sentiment, not because of like the songwriting, which is fine. You know, Um, that's fitting. And and that Puff Daddy song is good, too. It samples. uh, What is it? Every Breath You Take by the Police. That's a good song. My favorite Um, my favorite sample song that got popular is a Kid Rock song. 
We did Werewolves of London. <coughs> and Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably my favorite use of samples. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, rounding out the top five, Jules Foolish Games slash You Were Meant For Me. Jewel check. I got okay. my jewel. <clears throat> um, Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart. <coughs> Ooh, boy. And um, Puff Daddy, again, with Can't Nobody Hold Me Down, which is also a good track. We're at like a perfect dead zone where like before that, I I remember music from like when I was born, like more towards like Nirvana side and like the 80s. But for some reason, like that, that music at like the end of the 90s, I just like, I've probably heard it, but I don't know any of it by name. Yeah. So, I mean, go ahead, Joe. No, I was going to say I had a really interesting fact. I just want to put things in perspective about, well, it's about OK Computer, right? Which is the album we've already said we're going to talk about. Which is yeah. about like, <clears throat> so when we were, so like probably like nine, 10 years old is when we started listening to like classic rock, I'd say, which was like 20, if you put it into equivalent of like, okay, computer being out like 22 years ago is when it was released. If there was like a nine or 10 year old today who was thinking about classic rock, like Radiohead would be the equivalent to like, I was looking at like 1979, which would be equivalent, you know, difference in years. When like ACDC, Highway to Hell came out, Pink Floyd, The Wall, uh, wow. Talking Heads, Remain in Light. So that's this is like if you put someone in our shoes today, like that's how old this album is, which I thought was kind of an interesting fact. Yeah, yeah. but I think oddly enough, it won't have that effect anymore, though, because of what's about to happen, uh, which is the big old internet boom. I think that there won't necessarily be as much of a classic rock uh fondness to music of the 90s uh, it, yeah. it's just an interesting fact mike i just you know no, I, no, i know i'm just yeah, yeah. It, it's like it's weird because i don't think that like and like that kids will think of it that way it's, yeah. mike it's just an interesting fact <laughs> oh god damn it get off the damn podcast i i think we're on the verge of like for like younger generations now it's like the beatles to them is like how we would how most people would think about like bach like we all like grew up like listening to the Beatles, but I think like that's not happening anymore. And they're like yeah. no, like they don't know the Beatles, which is like you know they were like fifty years old when we were little, or like you know when we were younger. But like I think it's becoming like they're they're truly like people don't know what that is anymore, the Be- or like you know don't don't can't is easily recall their songs or like what they sound like perhaps. I don't get the Bach thing. That's like three hundred years before. <laughs> yeah, but that's like well, that's like what it's becoming. Like no one, no one in our generation typically can like name a bunch of like Bach pieces and like what they sound like. Uh-huh. Well, many of them are titled the same also. That doesn't help. Yeah. It's... That was where he, that was his big folly. I think. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, like Woody so Guthrie probably or something like that. Yeah. Like, that's nobody good... can name a Woody Guthrie song. Our, like our generation can't, but like probably 20 years before they definitely could. Yeah. Or, or like Hank Williams. Sure. Uh, like, like musicians like folk artists from like very early we need to have a side segment where you ask some young people about this <laughs> yeah we should run I'll, I'll go out with my microphone right now and do that <laughs> segment called ask the youth <laughs> like, what do they want also what are boogers <laughs> the only name i know on this is kylie jenner i just want to see a boob <laughs> that 
that I that is the only name that I know from that one list. No. So. <laughs> Okay, well let's let's quit. Uh, let's get to the meat of the conversation here because we have yet to talk about what Limp Biscuit was up to, and it was a year for Limp Biscuit. It was a year. So this is the last time we're gonna check in with these guys, and you know what? Like Mike and I talked a couple episodes ago, we've kind of started to like Fred Durst. So like I'm I'm gonna kind of miss miss knowing so much about this band, but I also have a um. A curveball here that's going to color our perspective on Fred Durst, I think. Okay. All right. Well, keep in mind, this is back in time now. Yeah. Uh, close your eyes and transport yourself to 1997. When, after Limp Biscuit had just opened up for Korn, um, their last show on the tour, or one of their big shows on the tour, which was in Hollywood, was well-received. And the unsigned Limp Biscuit finally signed to Mojo Records, a subsidiary of MCA, only to have a dispute with that label and sign with Flip, a subsidiary of Interscope Records. So our, our boys are signed to a label now. On their way to California to record their first album, the band nearly died after crashing their van. As a result of their near-death experience, Durst made amends with guitarist Wes Borland and he rejoined the band. Wow. Wow. Wes Borland uh, is in and out of Limp Bizkit a lot, as listeners <laughs> of this will know. <laughs> um, well, if that's what it takes to uh, get him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, can, I, can I also make a reference that maybe we're all thinking right now? Isn't that a little reminiscent of a Tom York song that's mm-hmm. on this album? Yeah, I wonder, if an, I wonder if they had an airbag in that car and if it saved their life. Huh. Very huh. strange. Is that what the song is about? Is about the Limp Biscuit crash? Yeah, it was. <laughs> He's singing from the perspective of Fred Durst. Thank God they're alive. An airbag saved Fred's <laughs> life. <laughs> so Limp Biscuit's first record was produced by Ross Robinson at Indigo Ranch in California. Continuing the band's policy of using names that would repulse potential listeners, the band named the album by using part of the phrase queer as a $3 bill and adding the word y'all for Florida flavor. The album was thus named $3 Bill, y'all. It was released on July 1st, 1997, and included the band's famous cover of George Michael's Faith, which was their biggest hit song as an unsigned band during live shows. The album was met with minimal, albeit somewhat positive, response. And during this time, Fred Durst became Interscope Records' vice president of artists and repertoire. So he he already sees the the uh, $3 bills, if you will, and wants to make that money. He's, he's an executive at this point. After his first record came out. <clears throat> so Limp Bizkit toured with Korn and Helmet um, in 1997, so they rejoined Korn. Here's here's where I have um, something to announce with a heavy heart. So during these 1997 performances, um, first of all, these performances were critically panned with critic John Gilbertson writing the one attention grabbing moment of Limp Bizkit's rap slash thrash show was when the lead singer expressed a desire for gay men to be stomped, which isn't remotely rebellious. It's just puerile. And there are reports of Fred Durst calling the audience homophobic slurs when he was angry at them. Jeez. Yikes. Yeah. But he hosts a jazz night yeah. now. What so, a joke. 
we were coming around on Fred Durst, but Fred Durst, you've been canceled, my friend. Oh, we were just, yeah, a, yeah we, like we hadn't heard the worst yet. Yeah. Oh, man, you can't, you can't bounce back from that. That's no good, man. Yeah, so it, it makes me feel bad that I've spent so much of my life reading about him because um, he's a bad person. I don't think he... I did. I tried to look up and see if he'd ever apologized or said any like anything. I couldn't find anything, so I'm assuming he has not. Well, you know what's weird? <laughs> if we would have done this one like before we got to the good stuff, we might have just lumped it in as like, "Yeah, he sucks. He's awful." But now that we we have a different perspective, it's like, <laughs> "Oh, dude, how could you do that?" Yeah. Yeah, he really let us down. It's 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 a shame. But this isn't even like a. I didn't uncover this secret. I read it on Wikipedia. It's like you know, it's it sucks. It, it's bullshit, and it's a very um, bad thing to say. He's a homophobe. Uh, hopefully not anymore. But but he should certainly try to make amends at the very least. Um, well, Limp Bizkit finished out uh, 1997 by playing Warped Tour along um, with touring with Primus and Deftones. And their tour that they named Ladies' Night in Cambodia, in which female attendees got free tickets. This was done in order to diversify the band's largely largely male fan base. And as Wikipedia put it, this plan successfully increased the band's female fan base. (laughs) So, uh, just in 1997, only one of us would have gotten a free ticket to see Limp Bizkit. Julia, you would have been the lucky recipient of that. Would you have gone, do you think? You know, maybe. I just kind of wish we could reach out to him now and ask him, like, what happened, man? What happened? Well, you guys, the next lady I have tonight? a little surprise for you. In the <laughs> studio with me today is Mr. Fred Durst. Fred! Fred, how are you doing? Hey, Fred. I'm just joking. He's not here. Oh, oh dude, I thought, oh. You had a, I thought you were going to do a bit. Man. I thought he was going to be now. there. Man, I wish I had researched, like, watched a video so I knew what he sounded like, and I totally would have tried to yes and that. It's always like this, man! <laughs> I did it all for the nookie! I did it that's what he sounds like. He did it all for the nookie? Oh, that's a... That's, that's one right. of the big songs. That's right, that's right. Ooh. Yeah. I, I, I guess he must really respected that nookie to have been a hobophobe. Yeah. yeah. I guess so, Yeah. Uh, gross man. Uh, I, I hope he's he's reformed his views. But that's that's all for Limp Biscuit. That's the last of Limp Biscuit we're going to cover until, um, I mean, if Radiohead ever put aside another album, we can do an episode on that and cover Limp Biscuit again. But that's we're, it. We're, that's uh, that's the the tale my of tribute Biscuit. episode when you're pouring pepper into um, my cremated pepper ashes. <laughs> this <laughs> isn't your thing. <laughs> my tribute episode. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Well. That's it for for what what's uh, what was Lumbiscuit up to. We're about to start talking about our our subject at hand, but before that, um, I don't know who all has a drink pairing here, but as always, um, I think some of us have some drink pairings. We have chosen to go with the album today, um, and I I have one for myself. Um, so this is Radiohead's 1997 landmark album, um, often cited as one of the greatest uh, albums of of certainly contemporary music. And um, so I, for my drink, I went very simple. I picked uh, the finest uh, alcohol that I had. I have a glass of Dalwini scotch here with me. Whoa. I've been sipping on it. Um, I bought it to celebrate the end of my last job. Um, so it's a, it's a special bottle here. And uh, I think this album deserves no less. 
So uh, does anybody else have a drink pairing they prepared today? So I went for, um, <clears throat> I honestly didn't think very hard about this one, which I, I should have thought about a little bit more, um, but it is a Wednesday. Um, so I went out and I got the Ryan Guy's Truth because I think that this album is thought of as uh, like the true Radiohead like origin album. It's yeah. like it's them in their purest form. It's it's them being truthful to what they were and what they would be in the future. Yeah, I think I think that's a good choice, and I think it's uh, I think it's very apropos. Um, anybody? Any other drink suggestions? Drink drinks? No, Joe's the Pope. Uh, I've got a really nice sparkling rosé here. Mm, That sounds good. It's refreshing, delicious, the fitting of a middle-class white woman. Uh, (laughs) Where are you going with this? (laughs) You know, maybe appropriate to some themes. Um, And I didn't choose it for any particular reason, but I can make some stuff up about... um, you know, they they started working on this album partly because they didn't want to make their last album, and they wanted to di- wanted it to be a little bit less sad or serious. Mm. I think I read, and that's less, less like personally emotional. Yeah, I think. yeah, like less of a downer, which maybe is not true, but this rosé less personally emotional for me. <laughs> Mm. that's a very good pick joe you do you have a drink pairing oh yeah i have a few um oh wow so (laughs) why am i not surprised (laughs) so i was actually talking to a friend the other day about my three favorite drinks in the world and i ranked it milk on top with two percent milk uh scotch number two and then water tap water so I was just going to bring up, you remember that argument with Cody about which is healthier for you, milk or water? <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah. You, I wasn't even really a part of this. I remember I came over one day and I think Cody was on the milk side and you were on the water side. I, might, I don't know. might have been. Yeah. I can't remember who's on either side, but anyway. Well, we also, we had, to, we had to bring up Cody's name at least once yep. in this. So yeah, well. Anyway, thanks for uh, interrupting me. Um, so I picked these three drinks because they're my favorite drinks, and I couldn't think of anything better to pair with my uh, my favorite album. Um, also, the scotch I'm drinking is a recreation of a traditional Islay whiskey um, of like a Lafroy or Lagavulin. It's malted barley and from from Islay, but distilled in a different location. Um, so it's basically a ripoff of you know some of my favorite scotch, which essentially this album okay computers rip off of Parachutes by Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> Came out five years later. So so uh, so Julia is more of the middle class, and you're more of the one percent. Two percent milk. I said two percent milk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Did I say favorite? Okay. This is actually my second favorite album behind Moonshade Pool. God, Joe. Wow. Well, we'll I say, can't do say, this anymore. Save that for the end. Save that for the end. Thank God this is the last uh, episode. <laughs> All right. Well, for the last time, raise your glass to Radiohead, cover your ears for Mike's disgusting sippy noise, and uh, join me in a toast. Cheers.
Hey, maybe this time they'll join me on the sipping noises. Oh, thank you for that. I'm the Pope. <laughs> I'm the Pope. So, uh, luckily, you all never have to hear those sippy noises again. Um, Dude, nobody else is complaining. It's my ringtone now. <laughs> Not one complaint from anybody else. All right. Well, no one's complaining about the subject matter of today. Um, I think it's it's obvious what album we're talking about. It's um it's the album that is if generally I would say considered Radiohead's magnum opus and certainly their their first um their first album that announced who they are and and kind kind of started their their run on these albums that were innovative, experimental, risk taking um and just and very um very novel and and tr- truly i think still to be matched by by any other rock band we're talking about radiohead's 1997 album okay computer it's finally time ooh, ooh. feels good to hear you say that yeah so yeah we we've we've been we've been talking about doing this one forever i think at some point we decided we'd we'd save it for our last episode um it's an album that everybody here loves i think we can I think uh, not. I don't know if these are any spoilers saying that right off the bat. So, um, just a brief background on the album, if, if your listeners are are, are not familiar. Uh, this is Radiohead's third album. It is their first album with um, longtime producer Nigel Godrich producing the entire record. Um, they, as Julia said earlier, they wanted to um, create an album that kind of beat back against a lot of things they had done. One of those things being the kind of straightforward emotional. Um, downer lyrics and while I wouldn't characterize the lyrics as positive they certainly are um, a change of direction and, and kind of a, a turn to more abstract more image image based lyrics I believe and um, kind of brings in the kind of tongue-in-cheek Tom York nature to it um, lots of very dense production on this very layered production um, and while there's a lot of very listenable songs on here that had that had some hits, there's a lot of very, uh, very ambitious songwriting on this as well, and ambitious composition. Um, the album was uh, considered unmarketable by their label at the time, Capitol Records, and they lowered their expectations for sales um, from two million to five hundred thousand. And then the album was a big hit with uh, several very successful singles in the U.S. It was their highest charting album in the U.S. at the time. And, um, of course, the legacy of this album, I don't think I, I need to go into that much, but they they really embraced a whole new slew of influences on this. Um, many critics, even at the time, considered it a, a monumental album that would influence music for years to come. And I believe that that, uh, that has been true. So with that background, let's dive in to OK Computer. I'm excited. Me too, me too. Well, Mike, do you want to touch a little bit on kind of the sonic journey we have going on here? Kind of where this album, its peaks and valleys, where it takes us and, and where we go with it? Oh, I'd be I'd be happy to. Um, I want to touch first on, I, I think it's even just like striking looking at their Wikipedia page. Because I think more than like any other album that we've talked about, it's just full of like many, many different influences for this. Yeah. Um, just to name a few, they uh, they talk about like DJ Shadow, Miles Davis, 
Um, Penderecki obviously is one that we've brought up before, but probably uh, is most uh, present on this album. Um, you know, can more kraut rock sound. They reference Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, uh, and it's it's almost like they they don't at all talk about like what they brought to it. And it's well, at least this Wikipedia page is more uh, discussing their influences for this. But I think that's so true. And I don't mean that as a fault to them that they didn't bring anything on their own, but this is where their palette really expands. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think this is such a monumental album and why it stood the test of time, because there's so much history embedded in this album. Um, They they also reference uh, like Noam Chomsky as far as like writing goes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, that's the first thing that strikes me about this is that, I mean, you can get that from hearing it, but, they're also very open and honest about like where they got a lot of their ideas from. Yeah. Um, well, so the arc of this thing, um, I, I put this up there as like, I, I mean, I'll say it right off the bat, you know, kind of similar to in rainbows, that perfect arc, that perfect progression. And I think a good album should have that journey and, you know, talk about opener right off the bat i mean airbag comes in with just such a new sound to radiohead such a it's such a vulnerability but at the same time done with such uh a like subtle intricacy that just that guitar line and like some of those like sleigh bells in the background just really sings you into this album um so I, I even think that's probably the best place to start. Um, just like first impressions right off the bat when you put this thing on, what it sounds like. I, I've actually told a, a brief story before about like how this out al- this song is like one of my favorite actually probably one of my like just ingrained in me probably my favorite um radiohead songs just by like i've probably listened to it the most um but uh i don't know it's amazing i think that the one thing about this song and also this album that i think is super cool is is one of the things that the rolling space echo this is the first album that johnny uses it which i think that device is what makes a lot of Radiohead songs, especially um, especially Johnny's guitar playing, which you really hear the space echo like after the first chorus, um, which mm-hmm. anyone who's not familiar with it, it's basically just like a box that's the size of like, well, probably like a desktop computer that just has like a tape running through it. And it just records um, what you put into it, like physically records it on a tape and then plays it back at whatever speed you want it to. And you can change the volume and change the, the the sound but it's just something that like at to this point like nobody had used it on a guitar um at least to my understanding mm-hmm. but this is the first time that radiohead had used it and i mean you hear it throughout the entire album pretty much in every single song that's like basically uh like a i don't even how would you explain it it's basically just like a delay but it's very spacey i, I don't even know how to, yeah. to word it. <laughs> so i th- like i I don't know the history of the space echo, but I would guess that it's like one of the first um, to be used as like a live instrument. Cause like tape delays existed before that. I'm sure mm-hmm. um, it, it, it could, it could be the first one. I, I don't really know about that, um, but it has a very authentic, I mean, it's, it's an analog 
um, response. So, I mean, those of you who are in our, like, tech savvy, it's less of the, the digital sound where it's kind of uh, mimicking the sound, delaying it using more computer technology, but it's actually using the tape to kind of, like, imprint the sound, then loop the sound. Um, and there's, there's it, I mean, if you look at the tape, it looks like a big mess, messy snake going through this thing. Um, so I don't know much about the construction and how that affects the sound, but yeah, I think the quality that sticks out is like the more of like the reverb sound, the the depth you can get in the the delay, and on I think no better musician has really pushed this thing to its limit, and it's to the point where we're even talking about it right now because it is such an important thing to his sound. Um, but he really um, probably expanded the market for that, but also expanded what you could do with the space sector. Yeah, and, and the first time this thing's like truly introduced in the album is like after again after the second um after the first chorus, after it says I'm back to save the universe. It's like it's probably one of my favorite just radiohead noises, which is like this this guitar comes in like right at the end and, and Tom says, um what is it, like in a in a deep, deep sleep, and then just mm-hmm. this guitar just like ringing in one of the headphones and it just sounds absolutely incredible. And just such a way to like introduce his way of playing that um that instrument like it's almost like its own instrument just like way to introduce it to the band to the album and then also like literally to the universe um is like this new sound of like what radiohead is to me that that's why it just it just explodes like here here is this new sound of radiohead um it's absolutely amazing to me so yeah. I never made this connection before, but I I'm now as I'm thinking back on it, I'm hearing it as like a car crash, like a car like screeching to a halt when it first comes in, like, mm-hmm. uh, which is fitting of this song. But yeah, yeah, I love that entrance, whether it be thematic for that reason or just interesting on its own. Yeah. Um, and if we're uh, sorry, Mac, I don't know if you had a point, but um, to, to talk to keep talking about tech, um, this is also <laughs> I think the first love tech. I think it's the first time that he uses uh, Max MSP software, um, at, at least uh, on like a solo guitar thing. Um, so at the very end of the song, you start to hear a little bit of that glitchiness on the guitar. Um, and that's through a program called Max MSP, which is basically just a very basic like graphic um, software building uh, music equipment. Um, so he can design all these patches to make it go through loops and do whatever he wants um, to c- kind of make that glitchy sound. Um, so, and you hear that more if, on this album and then in later albums. So it, it really introduces those two things, the Space Echo and the Max MSP software. <laughs> On this note of talking about like these sonic qualities, I think that's what, so from this perspective of we've had Pablo Honey, we've had the Benz, and now you're somebody sitting down listening to OK Computer for the first time. I think your first takeaway is going to be this like completely different or rather completely expanded sonic palette. Cause I love this song. I think it's, I think it's a great opener and a great song. And, you know, the songwriting is a lot, it's not like, we're not exactly hearing um, something Radiohead's completely 
never done before compositionally. Cause I, I mean, I think this song is com- comparable to some songs on the bends. I think like uh, nice dreams is kind of similar, but they have really expanded their palette of instruments from these, these, um, uh, the guitar isn't all distorted anymore and they're not all just acoustic guitar. We're hearing these um, very processed guitars sound a very specific way. We're hearing sleigh bells um, uh, and, and there's, there's cello very low in the mix and the cello and, and guitar kind of comes that opening riff we hear is like a cell is this cello and guitar. If you listen like really closely, like coming together to make this sound and, it, it kind of uh, repeats throughout the song. So I, I think that's what I hear first is like this really dynamic shift sonically. And we have these sections where it's like, it's just the guitar and the bass syncing up. Um, it's, it's much less like think it's not as songwritery as far as just like thinking about it, verse, chorus, verse. And this is like our rock instruments we're using. It, it's, it's really thinking about these instruments and, and using these instruments to form um, a more complex and more deep arrangement than, than it has previously, I think. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that too, because um, we we talked about like Kid A after this, where they start kind of composing more in an electronic um, style. Uh, even if the songs aren't using electronics exclusively, there's still a compositional style to it where it's electronic and it's more uh, linear and sampled. And I hear that on this too with like the the way that the drums are constructed where you'll get like a drum groove and then sometimes it'll kind of just like cut off like, and it'll sync up with the bass, like the boo-doom, 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 doo-doo-doo. And then you get like a little bit of the guitar sound in the background. Uh, so they're really exploring this space. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, this is maybe, I don't know if I've said this about another album, but this is, after talking about this, this might be my favorite Radiohead opener on an album. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, Julia, what what are your? Do we have so so especially? I mean, obviously you have good and strong opinions on the music as well. But but like lyrically, does does airbag is is your you're the poet here. You're the wordsmith. Um, does does airbag musically or or lyrically? Does it like? Is there something about it that's like different to you or like stands out to you? Um, I mean, I think it is just going back to what everyone has said about it being such a great opener um just like subject wise um about transportation and mortality and like how transportation you know tom york talks a lot about like how especially at that time he was like terrified of transportation and like the thought that like you could just be going in like and i think about this too like you're in like a metal box that weighs, I don't know how much it weighs, like a ton. I don't know. Um, and you could die at any time and people are just kind of like going about their lives. And like that kind of sentiment, I think like sets up the album really well. Um, Cause I think in comparison to the bands, like just like that, what they were trying to do, it's a lot less personal and it's more like, I don't know. It's less from like a first person standpoint, even though it, he's always like, I, 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 it's more like from a third person mm-hmm. perspective about like everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this, this airbag sets like the album up perfectly. 
Yeah. Well, so if we if we look at like the first two albums, um, we kind of talked about how Pablo Honey was fueled by angst, and it was kind of that like visceral response to like reacting to the world, kind of being mad at the world. The Benz was a little bit more refined. It was kind of it was more about I, I think the word that we used was like fear, um, but fear in like more of a broader emotional sense. And this one right off the bat is almost it's like fear of something that's so present it's it's like an obvious like like death experience that you're afraid of so it's like it's completely rationalized um so i and i think on the rest of these songs too um we're gonna hear this um where it's it's in a way it's talking about a much more simplistic everyday thing but it has like a mon- mundane fear, right? But it, I think that it's it's still it's it's executed in a much more mature way. So it's almost like kind of like getting older and realizing like this is what I have to worry about now. Like I, I've gotten past the point of that like emotional barrier, and then they go on to start talking more about like politics and uh, and later albums and you know a little bit on this one. Um, but now it's becoming like more present things that can actually be attached to something realistic. Yeah, like the danger seeps in in like small things that happen in your everyday life, like computers and technology and transportation, like all of those things are things we use every single day. And all of those things can be used in a dangerous or harmful capacity. Well, that might segue uh, perfectly into the next track. Oh yeah, we're gonna go right into the big the big boy here. Let's do it. I mean, I feel like we should because I mean, yeah. since we're talking about that, um... yeah. So yeah, so whereas Airbag kind of sets the palette uh, or sets the stage for this new Sonic Sound palette, um, the next track on the album that transitions perfectly from that is, I mean, I. I I don't think it's extreme at all. I think everyone would agree to say this is like Radiohead's signature song. Uh, We have Paranoid Android, um, which retains those sonic qualities and and these um, lyrics that are are first person, but also a more image based and um, kind of like tongue in cheek expression, but also um has a lot of really unusual composition elements particularly for music at the time and a a really interesting structure in particular and so this this is really while airbag sets the stage like oh there's a new they have a new thing going on with with this record paranoid android is like oh wow they're uh they're doing something way more than just like expanding a sound palette here Mm -hmm. so Oh man, I'm trying to think of where to even begin <laughs> talking about well, this so song. I, I, I think I, I've said this in a previous podcast. I think this is, if you were to pick one song that would be the defining song of Radiohead throughout their career and even albums after this, it's definitely Paranoid Android. Yeah. Because um, it has a lot of the character of each of them. Um, and I like what you said about like expanding not only outside of the Sonic realm, but structurally this is like going into new territory i mean it's it's a longer song uh but there's so many different sections that it's not really like an a b a b c there's like a whole different like part of the song that has its own format like i think like you'll read all over the internet that this song is like one of you know obviously one of radiohead's greatest songs but there's like a lot of websites and 
Um, and you know, just a lot of people who say that like, this is one of the best songs ever, at least in the past 15 years, like new music express says this is like the greatest song written in the past 15 years back in like the early two thousands. They said this actually does 2011. Yeah. I just, just a note, just a note. This song is 22 years old. So good. Keep going. Right. So 2011, <laughs> this was said, um, but, uh, so you're wrong, but keep going. And then also, well, I mean, we'll get to that point in the song, but Johnny's guitar solo here, as I think, again, what sort of defines um, what Johnny's guitar sounds like again for like the, the remainder of, um, of Radiohead to this point. which I think is, is fantastic. I mean, there's people yeah. who say that this is one of the greatest guitar solos of all time, um, which is interesting because Johnny's like a kind of guy who's like not into your traditional type of um, like Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton type guitar solos. Yeah, they're not shredding. Yeah, yeah which you can, t- well, I, I mean, one could argue that this 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 solo absolutely fucking shreds. Yeah. But it doesn't shred in your like you know traditional seventies rock way. It's, well, now we're arguing semantics about what means what is shredding. What is shredding? <laughs> Actually, I brought another guest in. It <laughs> Slash is here. Slash, do you have something to say about shredding? Oi! I love to shred. I'm Slash. See you later. I didn't know he was British. I don't think he is. Uh, I think he's uh, Slash. Are you British? Oi! Yeah, he's British. <laughs> Um, well, now uh, I'm mad that you brought up semantics because the other thing I was going to argue that I don't even I wouldn't necessarily call this a solo <laughs> um, because it's and we, we talked about this before, too, that his guitar parts aren't like solo in like the nature where you you typically think of a solo, like just improvising over a track. It feels like this was like handcrafted, like uh, like slaved over, like really made sure that all the beats, all the uh those high points and low points were put like placed so caringly into the puzzle here that it i it's i hesitate to even call it a guitar solo it's it just sounds like a very in interesting melody yeah. over top of it. <clears throat> there's actually this quote i pulled from gibson's website that did an interview with johnny greenwood like uh 2000 i don't know a while ago um and his quote is i've always hated guitar solos there's nothing worse than hearing someone else cautiously going up and down the scales of their guitar you can hear them thinking about what the next note should be, and then out comes, then out it comes. It's more interesting to write something that doesn't outstay. It's welcome, um, which I think pretty much sums up what you said um, about how it's just like yeah. it sounds. It, it almost sounds like a disaster, but it's so well crafted. Um, mm-hmm. But like not again, and you're like, it's like you're, he's not thinking about the next note or the last note, but still, it just sounds so. It's so perfect. And then it's, it just, it sounds like it's been crafted for like, you know, hours and hours and hours. Well, his yeah. point is so true. And I, I feel like I share that sentiment and maybe I got it from listening to Radiohead. Um, but I like, I don't like when I go to see a band play and there is a guitar solo. Cause you're like, okay, like he's going to kind of do this thing. He's going to do this thing. It's going to, and it's more of just like a vanity thing than it is really serving the song. It's, I've always seen them as space fillers. But in this context, it is absolutely the opposite of a space filler. It like it draws your attention to the music underneath it and then pulls out new qualities yeah. of it. It's it's not like he doesn't play guitar as if like 
Tom's up there like, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Greenwood. And then he- <laughs> <laughs> That's such a perfect way to put it. It's like, okay, here I go. <laughs> There's just like a quick drum solo up to it. And then just like right when yeah. the beat kicks, he solos in. It's just like the solo always comes in way too early and like stays way too long after it's welcome. But it's always perfect. Mm. And then they're like, and then they're like, Colin, bass solo. And then Ed O'Brien goes and unplugs his bass. <laughs> and then they're laughing on the side. <laughs> <laughs> well, on on this note of kind of like the compositional elements here of this of this song, like this guitar solo, that's I mean, it's it's clearly like a very well crafted like line that he's written. That it still like rips so hard, but it but it's like it's it's functions more as like a, a melody or a lead voice than like an than you know someone shredding. So like just just like a very brief summary of things that come to my mind what this song does so it 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 opens up with kind of a false key so so this is whereas airbag wasn't that differing in composition from the bends this one very much is i think so we we kind of start like you think that the key is going to be higher and then it shifts to the down to the g minor which is like the real key of the song so there's like a little trick of the ear there Then the B uh, section of the song has sections that jump into seven, eight time, which is a very unusual time signature, or it's not very unusual, but a more unusual time signature. And then uh, there's very few instances of traditional chord changes, which I won't go into, but, but this really is the song where it's like, wow, this is doing so much musically. Like every second of this song is doing something interesting musically. It's Mm -hmm. not just a, uh, you know, a, a one, four, five chord progression, which is, you know, like what you think of, like, don't stop believing or whatever, which even before this radio had a lot of their chords, you know, chord progressions were very sim- simple. This is like uh, from one second to the next. If you've never heard this song, you do not know where the chord change is going to go. And it like, it, it's this very, very interesting writing. And, and as we mentioned before, it doesn't have verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. It's, we have, uh, we kind of start that way. We kind of have a verse and a chorus, and then we jump into a totally new section of the song that changes it all, leads to a guitar solo. And then we have like this like building section where everything slows down. Um, and then we come back in with the B section again to wrap up the song. It's this very kind of classical structure for a song as opposed to a songwriting structure. So this is the one to me that really announces like this band is really thinking about music in a, in a especially that at that time for rock bands, uh, something that had not, songs like this hadn't come out really. And it's really impressive to me. Well, <laughs> um, well, no, I was go, sorry, say, Julie, like, go ahead. To me, when I, I hear the song and like listen to everything that y'all are talking about and I read the lyrics, like, you know, I think that, they had just been touring so exhaustively before this that like they were just exposed to so much and like people were like interviewing them all the time and like they were having to talk to people. So they were like, I think at that point, like they didn't even feel like they were really people anymore. They were just kind of like observing like what are other humans doing? Cause like, we're just like 
going again and again like we're getting on the bus and then we're like in another place and we're waking up and doing the same thing and like you know like some people use that experience as like a more attention grabbing thing like just like you were talking about with the guitar solo like it's not about him as a guitarist it's about the song and like I think I see that a lot in this Mm -hmm. album where they're like we're like just observing now like everything that we've seen and been through at this point like it's almost like we're robots now like we're the paranoid android because like we've just been like taxed over and over again from like these like human experiences where people are like wanting things from us all the time yeah yeah that's a great like a great bit of background because i mean specifically like they came up with pablo honey and creep was their big song and then they're like we don't want to do another creep and uh then they did the bends which is you know expanded a little bit but then like their label wanted the bends too basically so like that background is a huge part of like of of like how they were how they were feeling and like i i'm sure there was like this yeah this this want to look outside themselves and, and that you know can also go to all of the influences they brought to this album as well as but you know what's super fascinating about that sorry mac if i cut you off which is this, I mean, no, if you guys are ready to go, is a perfect segue into subterranean homesick yeah. blues because like that's, a, there's like a quote of Tom York that's like, but you mean the, you mean the Bob Dylan I'm song? Sorry. Subterranean homesick I'm so, so I actually want to talk about that too. Cause it's a playoff of it. subterranean homesick alien, which is um, Tom says that like one of the first essays he ever wrote was about like, like if you were an alien dropped on earth, like what would you think about everything else? Which is so fascinating. Cause we're just talking about like, they're like these observers almost at this point, like in this album, like observing kind of like what, what is this like new world essentially they've, they've come into. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's super fascinating for one. And then the other thing too, which I had not thought of until this point, home, sur- home, terrain, sub, sorry, home, subterranean homesick alien play on the Bob Dylan song, subterranean homesick blues. The first line of home terrain. Sub- oh my God. Of that <laughs> song is Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government, um, which is so funny to think about. Like Johnny's in the basement, mix up the medicine. You picture like Johnny in the basement with his tape echo or space echo. Then Tom literally sitting there thinking about the government, which is like what almost this album is about. Maybe I'm like really reaching there. But if you think about it, like all the electronic stuff, music stuff Johnny's doing, and then Tom just like, I mean, there's several things he talks about, about the government. Anyway thought it was pretty fascinating um in that play but you guys go ahead yeah no i love that that's uh, i love that connection um also you maybe realize these guys are big nerds <laughs> yeah <laughs> um well to to that extent also i wanted to ask um julia who pre- is maybe a little bit more knowledgeable of this they they cite noam chomsky is there like anything in any of the tracks that we've talked about like direct noam chomsky quotes or like literal references uh i really don't know <laughs> i don't know it yeah i don't that's a very specific person to know i don't i only vaguely know about him i don't know his theory or anything really but. Who, who's noam chomsky okay he's like a, a political writer and theorist kind of uh and like i know he's done uh, i think that's bob dylan i think <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um 
He's Joe. He's the oh. derailer. Yeah, Joe's the wild card. I thought that was. I thought that was Noam Chomsky. Subterranean homesick alien. Um, kind of return to a much more simple song structure here, but we still have a, a very nice kind of, um, almost like surreal dreamy soundscape in this song. Um, I, I think some other people, I love this song, but I think some other people here have a more personal connection to it. So does anybody ha- ha- want to share some thoughts on Subterranean Homesick Alien as a song? Well, I, I want to get this out of the way too, cause this is, um, this kind of also speaks to my impression of the whole album. Um. You and um, Ryan had talked about how the Benz was kind of like more of a nostalgic album for you, but this this to me is like my nostalgia trip through Radiohead. This whole this whole album, but in particular this song, and we talked about this previously, um, Joe and I, that this song has like such a warm place in my heart. Uh, just how I discovered it, how we were listening to it. And when I hear that opening line, the breath of the morning, I keep forgetting the smell of the warm summer air. I like, it's like almost the opposite of like how I was feeling. Cause I was like in the warm summer air, like chilling in a pool, listening to the, the, the sound just like reflect off the water. The breath of the morning, I keep forgetting the smell of the warm summer air. I live in a town. So I, it's like hard for me to like see how um, like depressing some of the moments are in this song because it is just like so soothing and like ethereal. And I've I've referenced Subterranean Homesick Alien as an example either from songs before this that would eventually sound like Subterranean Homesick Alien or after this that sound like this track. Um, but this is the one. I mean, this is... I, I, I mean, banger after banger they all do something different at this point we've had airbag just kind of bring you in paranoid android has taken you through this journey like melted your brain and then you get to this soft landing where you can kind of just chill and relax and really hear how they explore the space in in a previous episode i can't remember what it was but we talk about this song i think it was um it might have been the second episode we were talking about our favorite songs um, and I described so much of that same feeling, Mike, which was like, I, I think the story I told was about like my first chest hair. Um, yeah. Like that was the biggest concern of, of my life. We can pop that clip in there. Um, but uh, just the idea of like this song comes on, like, and if, if you think about like from a listener's perspective, you just heard like two fucking bangers, um, airbag and subterranean, or the song that I can't pronounce. Um, and then, or sorry, paranoid Android, excuse me. Jeez. I'm just all over uh, too much milk. <laughs> um, well, I should have got the one percent. Um, and then, the, and then the idea of just like you hear this song come on, and then like for me, we we used to listen to it outside at Cody's pool, and just like dunking your head underwater, and like hearing those sounds underwater is like one of the most incredible ways to listen to this song if you ever have a chance to do it. Don't drown. Don't drown. <laughs> Don't no. listen to the whole song that way. <laughs> yeah, unless no, you're one um, of those crazy people. Unless you're David Blaine. Um, <laughs> no, you could but, listen to this while getting the bends. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Jeez. But uh, yeah, this incredible sounds that come from this song. It's just, yeah, absolutely amazing. And Mike, you summed that up perfectly. Mm. Um. Well, so I, I think, you know, we kind of already touched on the the theme of this song and 
it's it's kind of hard because I I don't see like I see that they're going more in like a like cosmic perspective with some of these or or at least like a futuristic perspective with some of the ideas of uh like paranoid android and then subterranean homesick alien is almost literally like uh there's nothing really like tongue in cheek about it it's almost more just like narrative and like just like straight fictional writing where he's kind of i'm sure there's more of an underlying message but he's really just describing this um unique cosmic world and he's building uh a a world for this alien where he's kind of a a fish out of water um but i mean i think that's note to be noted though because they they do create some of this uh, this similar like fictional style of writing on later albums and they like kid a we talked about how uh even that's that track by itself is kind of reminiscent of you know these characters that he's planting in stories to kind of tell his own story and i think this in a way is a a conduit for the message that he's sending that was a long-winded way of saying that he's becoming a fictional writer (laughs) (laughs) yeah it definitely is like more of a story laid out here and i always thought this i don't know it was an interesting um lyrically because it's like especially if we're talking about like them feeling like they're like stuck going through these motions it's like a character fantasizing about wanting to be abducted by aliens like to escape and like yeah. how good that would be and i always thought that was like an interesting just that's all i have to say about it just like an interesting little short story in a song well but i, I can see that because you know he says like they're all uptight like like trying to get out of this world in a way <clears throat> yeah which was supposed to be the original name of the song by the way oh uptight mm-hmm. hmm. well i'm glad they went with this title <laughs> Me too. Uh, Julia, anything lyrically that sticks out to you on this one? Or musically, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Thank, thanks for not pigeonholing me. Uh, so I'm, not, I'm not trying to, no, I, no, I promise, no, no. but that is your expertise. <laughs> yeah, I'm a one-trick pony. Um... No, I, I mean, I think that what y'all said is totally right. And I mean, and Joe said, uh, he and he, he mentions just like that essay that he's talking about, like having to write in school about like, what would it be like for an alien to like come down here and observe everything we're doing? And then he's kind of just like, well, I wish somebody would take me instead. <laughs> like, which I think is pretty indicative. And I do think this song is a little bit different than the rest of the songs really yeah it is it's it's like like it, it is like this like just the most kind of the way we were talking about a lot of the songs in the bins just like uh, there is the sonic quality of this but it's just like a really good song and it's very simple and straightforward and i mean there's like uh some other songs in this album that are like that are like that but it's largely kind of an anomaly to me it's like the simplicity of it and I, I, it's it's good because it's simple and it's like they're just mm-hmm. focusing on this soundscape and I, I think it does stand out for that reason to me but, well let's talk about the soundscape a little bit because there's some other things going on here I mean a little bit more of the the space echo but uh, I'm trying to think is it like a whammy that he uses for like some of those high-pitched guitar sounds with like that almost like glitchy like like not like having trouble tracking the the higher pitched guitar. I I'm not the guy to talk to about that. I have no idea. On the well, it's not. 
it, it sounds like he's using like a, a whammy on that mix with the the space echo, but it's such a cool ethereal sound and like that it's like like on a whammy pedal you can on like newer ones you can even like you have a setting where you can have it um like do a, like correct tracking and then you can have a setting that does like tracking that's off a little bit so it's almost like become an, an effect that people now enjoy to hear and i i believe that's what you're hearing on this um yeah, I mean, I love this, and I think the the way that the drums really cater to this ethereal sound should also be recognized because it could have just been like a standalone, just spacey track. But and the the thing about it that we mentioned on another track, I think it was Planet Telex, which is, um, you know, you have a lot of this stuff kind of like reaching into outer space, but then the drums do such a good job of grounding the track. So it never feels like it's just floating off into nothing and you're just like getting high listening to this. It's, it's got something that grounds it, that brings it back down to earth. Uh, and the drums just do such a good job of that with this. Yeah, Mike, the, um, the pedals or like the sounds, he's using a um, Demeter, the Tremulator. I guess that's a pedal. Um, and then a Digitech Whammy. Nice. Uh, good call. Good call. <laughs> Thank you. Also, I want to point out that uh, Julia earlier gave us a "y'all totally right," so we nailed really this one. Really did this time. <laughs> y'all totally right. Y'all totally right. <laughs> y'all crazy for this. All right. Oh, that's y'all. Is that ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? That's not y'all. That's not y'all crazy for this. I was thinking when I said that. I think what I was pulling is, uh, it's a J. I think it's Big Pimpin' by Jay Z. No, Dirt Off Your Shoulder, maybe. And the beginning goes, "You're crazy for this one, Rick," because he's talking about he's talking about Rick Rubin, the producer. Ruben Ruben stuttered. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's y'all totally right. <laughs> my uh, my roommate saw Ruben Studdard and Clay Aiken do a performance in New York a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, and he said they're they're just all technical. <laughs> Forget it. This is it, It's just. Wait, funny. did you bring up Rick Rubin because no. we talked about Ruben Studdard? Or no? Wait, he said, I, yo, I, no, I, no, opposite. <laughs> And uh, there were a bunch of technical difficulties, and apparently, like, the lights didn't come on for one song. So it's just like Ruben Studdard and Clay Aiken singing in the dark. <laughs> and, like, their microphones Which one will like, make it out alive? Out. Oh, man. But he was up close, so we could see them just, like, in the dark looking at each other, like, throwing their arms up. <laughs> That's so funny. I feel like that's the easiest thing to get right at a show. Just turn the lights on. Turn the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, um, speaking of Rick Rubin and uh, Rubin Sutter and Clay Aiken, track four, exit music for a film. Oh, geez. <laughs> Great segue, Mac. Jesus. The song is so good. Yeah, this song rules. Uh, one of the two songs not written for the album. This was written for um, uh, the film Romeo and Juliet. Oh, why can I not remember the director? He did uh, Moulin Rouge. Boz Lerman, directed for the Boz Lerman film, uh, or written. For the Boz Lerman directed film, mm. Romeo and Juliet, uh, used as the ending credit song of that movie, but not included on the soundtrack at the band's request. Um, but a song that was written 
before i believe it was written before the others and recorded because of that reason and um they cited it as making this song set the stage for what we wanted to do with okay computer making this song ahead of the other ones and you can definitely hear it on the track so um yeah i i've i've always liked this song and it's it's pretty it's pretty simple and straightforward mostly but like i i think this is just a song that uses dynamics really well because there's really really distinctive uh like that nirvana pixie style like first half quiet second half loud yeah and when it gets loud it hits so well it's it's like it really brings it in but but the quiet section is important too because like it's so haunting before that happens man it's a good one Somebody we have um, failed to mention, which is a crime, is Nigel Godrich, um, mm. because this is the first album that he's done with them for the entire album. He's produced the whole thing, correct? Yeah, it's a crime. Who's going to arrest us? The Karma Police? <laughs> no, we come on. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get so it. So not not only is this like Radiohead really exploring these sounds and getting creative with it nigel godrich's voice <laughs> is incredibly important for these tracks building up to this but also how he balances this track with the rest of them which are kind of the rest i would say is are a little bit more you know further reaching than this one but i mean you so uh, something i i complained about a little bit on a moonshape pool was like why don't you just have tom and a guitar and maybe a little bit of sounds in the background and this, I love for that. His his voice is so present, like right on the mic, uh, almost to the point where you can like hear every sound of his lips moving when he opens his mouth. Wake from your sleep The your teeth And there's like a very soft guitar. And then the way it gets into it with... Um, Oh, what is that instrument? Um, guitar. The, the the Mellotron is that the the instrument I'm thinking of with the strings coming in. Uh, it's it's not real strings, but it's this keyboard instrument that was famous in like the '60s '70s. Um, that kind of brings it in, and then um, you get that sick, like low square bass wavy sound, um, and it's oh, it just it tears through that track it is such a cool entrance and then of course the drum fill that comes in there oh man this is just perfectly constructed yeah um yeah it's and i i think like an important thing to point out here is like every every song on this record really does something completely different which is what i like about it so airbag we have a pretty straightforward like holdover 90s rock song but like it's a good song like these interesting sonic space and then paranoid android does all the crazy shit that that does and then subterranean alien is way more like lush and dreamy and like spacey and then this has the quiet loud the album is so it's it's so like signature it's it's so cohesive which is one of the things that we faulted some radiohead albums for not being um but yet so diverse with what these songs are achieving yeah um also one of my favorite cinematographers frederick elms 
he was a cinematographer on Eraserhead um, and a lot of other great movies. His cinematography reel is cut to this song, and it's so good. Hmm. Are, are we still talking about Desert Island Disc? <laughs> <laughs> this is a song. This is a podcast uh, about the greatest album Radiohead's ever produced, right? Which is uh, oh god damn it, which is um, Moonshade Pool. Uh, cut point. Cut Joe out. End cut point. Desert Island Disc. Full stop. Um, we go so to that one. I, soon? I don't have a lot more to say about uh, exit music. Julia, um, Julia, you have something. I was gonna say that, like lyrically, I think this, like this song seems angrier, and we get there by the end, and I think that sets us up really well for the rest of the album. And I think just like you were saying, like musically, like the first three songs, like set us up really well i think it leads really well into this song and this song kind of brings a little bit more of that like anger and resentment like the last words are like we hope that you choke you know like and i see i think i see that echoed throughout the rest of the tracks on the album yeah that's that's kind of like a grunge line right there we hope that you choke (laughs) and he says it over and over again at the end Mm. i I love it especially since he's like whispering it (laughs) into the microphone yeah um yeah well so then going into the next track yeah it's a it's a great setup track title let down oh man yeah let down <sighs> maybe my favorite song on the record maybe well i mean it, it's it's one of my favorite radiohead songs um and it does like a specific thing i really like uh, about uh, my my very favorite bands bands like radiohead animal collective dirty projectors those are probably my top three this quality of making something really straightforward and listenable and emotional, but also just putting in interesting little music, musical elements that like catch my ear. And whereas Paranoid Android is such an achievement, um, let down and let downs, maybe the most straightforward. We were talking about how they wanted to get away from this place of just like personal, emotional, a feeling in the lyrics let downs maybe the one that most feels like that so i get that emotion and this is just like a very straightforward song the chord progression is is very simple but the thing that sets it apart for me that i've mentioned on this before and won't go into too much because it's you know, music technical stuff but that opening guitar line um that johnny plays is in a different time signature than the rest of the song it's in five eight so you'll can't you count that in fives like one two three four five one two three four five one two three four five whereas the rest of the song is just one two three four that creates like this almost like algorithmic harmony where at certain times those notes that he's playing in a different sequence match up with the other harmonies and the other guitars that are in it, the, mm-hmm. the regular time signature. So you get these like beautiful, but unpredictable moments of harmony. Yeah. Well, that, so, that so every four, going. every four bars, it repeats back from square one, essentially, if you're doing five, eight or four, four, but yeah, like all that in between is kind of like that disjunct, like every next measure is like, yeah. it's in a different spot. So it's hitting a different thing until you get back to, um, that, that four bar threshold. Yeah. 
So, so we have this, this straightforward song that has this interesting element that is very catchy to me. And then we have, to me, this is just like the, the synthesis of like this production and this forward thinking composition. It's such a lush production kind of that we've seen on Airbag and Subterranean Homesick Alien creating this. I mean, I, I think they even said like a, uh, an influence for this song was uh, Phil Spector's Wall of Sounds uh, technique. Phil Spector, uh, famous producer and also murderer um, from <laughs> history. <laughs> um, but but we hear that it's such a big, full, like overwhelming sound. And again, like I think Nigel for that one, I'm sure he had a big hand in that. And especially we've talked about um, it. I don't know if this even qualifies as a guitar solo, but kind of the C section or the bridge of this song, it's just guitar. And then there's this moment of like this slow adding of layers with drum first with drums. And then this overarching, I don't know if it's arpeggiating exactly, but almost an unpredictable kind of synth line over the top. Also, this actually always reminded me of the end of Dear Prudence by the Beatles because it does a similar thing with the piano as far as the way it's used for texture. Um, but just this, I, I just feel the emotion on this track so strongly, I guess is what I'm coming from. But I have all these different ways I appreciate this. And it's so it's so listenable. And like, I think like, whereas Paranoid Android is, a, is like a song and that you know listenability is not the main thing that makes a song good i don't agree with that at all but whereas a lot of people would like paranoid android because it's so off the rails sounding this is so straightforward but incorporates those elements that i love that like keep me yeah. listening to music trying to figure out what's going on and i i think to me this is just like the like uh light their lightning in a bottle i mean this whole album's lightning in a bottle but like this one the moment where it all synthesizes to me and like i i can listen to the song forever yeah it's kind of like the the flip side of um paranoid in a way because it's it's exploring but in a very different way um and i think it's also the first track where you really you hear like a typical like if you were to guess what a computer would sound like that those like computer sounds at the end are like very like digital like somebody like hacking the mainframe or like just, just like scrolling through text and code like yeah um but it's also like maybe one of the mathiest songs they have for that that five eight over uh four four uh which is i don't know maybe something to be said about the the computer aesthetic yeah um but all of that really doesn't matter it doesn't it doesn't stick out for that reason um as especially something that i think radiohead has done a good job with on almost all their songs is hiding the fact that there's a different time signature going on or there's an unusual time mm. they always they always blend it with care to kind of th divert the listener from even realizing that fact yeah and this track just does such a good job with that yeah i i think that like that specifically is like using those unusual elements but making it like not using them in a no in a way that's like overtly novel, but using them in a way that actually enhances the song. And like, like my counterpoint to this is like a band like Rush, where it's like Tom Sawyer. It's like you're listening to it, and it's like 
oh, this is weird sounding. It's like this, there is that same thing going on with this song, but it's not weird sounding. It's natural sounding and it builds to the, like the song. And it's like, it's not just using a time signature for the sake of it. It's using it because it like, like I said, like sounds like this, like, like ocean, like this light waves of sound that every now and then peaks up and harmonizes and like this texture as opposed to like, oh, this sounds crazy, man. And that's like my favorite kind of music. That's like what I look for in music, really. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have opinions on this track? I love it. It's so perfect. It's a perfect Radiohead track. It's so easy on the ear. It's like, yeah, it's I, one of those tracks you listen yeah. to and, and you don't have to be a Radiohead fan to appreciate. It's just like in a beautiful, gorgeous song. I think that's, that's, a, that's, yeah. It, I say. think it just universally hits everything for anybody listening. Yeah. Like, yeah. And to know there's so many cool things, like in terms of like the, like Radiohead still preserving like the technical, you know, stuff that they, you know, basically the intelligent aspects of music that are going on with the song, but it's still like so easy on the ear where you hear songs that they do that are in odd time signatures that just are like, you know, they sound almost polarizing the first time you listen to it. This song still does that, but it's just perfect on the ear. Yeah. Like I could be at a bar and hear the song and be like, Oh yeah, this song is awesome. That's supposed to be like, like listening to rush at a bar. And then you're like, I'm in a different kind of bar right now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. don't know. If you if you put this song on at a bar and I've had a couple drinks, man, I'm gonna be hugging everybody in the bar. <laughs> or it's like it's yeah, it's, it's like put on climbing up the walls at a bar. <laughs> yeah. People are gonna leave. I mean, I might yeah. I might still do that with my close friends because they're playing climbing up the walls yeah. at a bar. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I also mentioned in this song too, I have like a personal memory. I'll make it really quick, was on, on New Year's Eve. Um we had like this party and I was trying to go to sleep. Um, so bad because I was going to a Browns tailgate the next morning. So I had to be up at like six in the morning and everyone was still partying and like everything got real quiet. And I'm like, thank God everyone's going to bed. And it's like four in the morning at this point. And then I hear this song blasting from the other room and everyone's just like, yeah, just screaming. And I like couldn't help but smile because I was like, I was so pissed <laughs> off because I had to go to bed. But I was like, but I can't, you can't get mad during this song. It's just absolutely perfect. Yeah. No, it's impossible. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I feel like this was my big song I was going off about, but it's, yeah, it's, it's functional in both ways. It's, it's a great, for lack of a better word, a great pop song. And it has that interesting music, like musical techniques going on. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's what I want, baby. That's what I'm all about. But enough about that song. Um, I guess we're after let down. Yeah, I guess we're just going like, through yeah. them all. We're just gonna go one I mean, at a time. We might as well. Why not? Yeah. Um, this is gonna be a long one, folks. Strap in. Um, so we go on to track six, marking the halfway point on the album. Um, to I would say maybe the most um long enduring radio hit this album had. It's the one that I if there's a something for this time I hear out the most, it's this one. Not that I hear this song all the time, but Track six, Karma Police, Arrest This Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do y'all think about Karma Police? If if there were a big hit battle between this and Creep, which I think would be an honest argument because they're probably the ones that get brought up the most by non-Radiohead uh, fans or elitists like us, um, 
Karma Police definitely wins because <laughs> it's a phenomenal song. Yeah. Um, and I, I, but I think I've said this before. I, a Karma Police to me, it definitely fits the album. It's, it's in a good place in the album where it can kind of, you know, there can be a little bit of a, a lull and not in a bad sense. Like there should be kind of like a drop of energy there. Um, but I feel like this one could have worked on the bends had they been using a little bit more piano at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it, it's very, it is, it's very simplistic, um, more in the nature of that album where this one is really trying to push boundaries. But the reason why I think it still works here is it's, it's a good song. Yes. But it is also kind of a palate cleanser on the album. Yeah, it's 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 um, largely, and there are some, especially later in the song, um, this kind of like sonic palette. But this is like the first time on the album. I mean, we had the quiet part and exit music, but Karma Police. It's pretty straightforward in its arrangement, insofar as that it's just like a rock arrangement, pretty much. It's it's piano is the driving instrument, acoustic guitar, bass, and drums and vocals, and and that's. A, a lot of what the song is until the very mm-hmm. end really um and the, that probably speaks to its its radio success um but but is it is a really great song and we do have some interesting chord um progressions going on here where it kind of subverts what it's done before where it goes you know sometimes it goes from i'm not gonna i i don't want to get too musicy on this but like it goes from sometimes it goes from the A minor to the D. Sometimes it goes from the A minor to the F, and it's like just a slight difference. If your ear isn't like used to that kind of thing, that might like leave you like, oh, that's something's different about that uh, kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's very straightforward, and it's a good catchy song with a good build. Again, we have the more of the like quiet, loud dynamic going on here that works really well, and I, I think it's a it's a it's. It is definitely one of those songs that I've heard. Maybe, maybe the only song on this album I would say I've heard it so many times that it, when I hear it now, it's it's like oh yeah, it's this song, and I'm I'm not as appreciating it as much. Like I still like it, but but I it it's definitely like been played a lot to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a re- it's a really good track, and I think like a worthy one to be like a hit for sure. I kind of agree, and in, in fact, I was just thinking that before you said it. Um... Like outside of this album, when I hear it, I still like it. Um, but I'm like, ah, okay. Like I'd rather hear another Radiohead song. But when I'm listening to this album, I love it when it comes up because mm. it's it's built up to so well. Um, and then of course, you know, there's a lot of bangers after this. Um, but I kind of I, I don't know if it's necessarily the same thing that I've just heard it so many times that it's gotten old to me, or if just by itself, I I'm not like super stoked on it. Um, but yeah, I, I have that same sentiment. With it. Yeah, I, mean, I think contextually it sets us up, like Let Down and Karma Police set us up really well, I think, for fitter, fitter happier. Uh, just because like in Let Down and Karma Police, you start to get a little bit of that, I don't know, like a little bit of unrest, like or like kind of bucking against capitalism a little bit. Like I'm working really hard, like, I've given all I can, but we're still on the payroll. Like I'm on a treadmill, but I, and I'm not going anywhere, even though I feel like I'm working really hard. Well, I was trying to wonder if that was like kind of a reaction to maybe 
the studio telling them that this album's not going to work. Like we're working so hard and like, like we're, we're giving all we can. And you're like, this album's going to be a huge flop. Uh, I, I was trying to like, just looking back through these lyrics, I was like, who, who is it that they're mad at? I think they're mad. I, my takeaway is that they just like, I feel like they did like a tour of society and like what they came back with was like, we're really exhausted. We're trying really hard and we feel like we're not getting anywhere. And we saw that like mm-hmm. most of the world is feeling that way too. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe either before this album or after this album was when Radiohead had almost a falling out. Um, and it's talked about very little, but there's, there's interviews where you can find Tom York where he's asked about like, what was the difficulty with this era? And he, he, kind of just like shied away from talking about it but uh he he makes it sound like there was some kind of headbutting with even bandmates at this time um i could be wrong though that could well, have been kid a or, i can't yeah. remember i feel like i was reading something about like uh, maybe it was after the Ben tour where they he, he, everyone was like really exhausted and they were supposed to pick tom up from the airport but he wasn't there and he had just like decided to go home and couldn't tell anybody and everyone was really mad at him jeez wow i did not know yeah. that hopefully that wasn't as petty of a reason or like the petty reason that they almost no, broke up about. I, I, mean, I just think there was like yeah there well there was some controversy in radiohead's yeah. life definitely uh, either this album or around this time um and, I, you know, I don't know that this is maybe the song that highlights that or if there are any songs that highlight that. But, um, you know, it, it would be odd of Tom York to not include some of those emotions in some of his songwriting. I mean, the, it ends with for a minute there. I lost myself. I lost myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because he, he just went home and everybody thought he was lost. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, no, he actually just got lost in the airport and didn't want to admit <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> he just- he was living the movie The Terminal. <laughs> Meets Catherine Zeta-Jones. Redoes the bathroom. He was just a crazy guy, like, <laughs> like working on the bathroom. Oh, man. Well, right. I, anyone? Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, yeah. We're talking. We're also talking about uh, Glass Eyes, right? From uh... God damn it. Just kidding. Uh, moving no, on, no, hold on. I want to say, say it. <laughs> Do we have a boot button? I think um, so. I have like a you know weird relationship with the song because it was like a song that um, I'd always known was like that's that's the Radiohead song you're not supposed to like if you're a real Radiohead fan. It's like those poppier ones, especially Karma Police. Given that it's like from a radio friendly perspective, it's like the one that's you know po- possibly the most popular one. But I think in most recent years, something I've appreciated about Radiohead is the fact that they've really embraced that. Um, just a lot of these more, you know, songs that, that kind of represent an era. Um, and I remember when I was at the Radiohead concerts this past summer, or yeah, I guess it was last summer when they closed both shows with Karma Police and they, um, they had at the end of this, it felt like I was like a, a Neil Young concert or something with Neil Young closing with like Heart of Gold where like the band stops and it's just like him with the solo acoustic guitar and a sing-along with the audience. Well, they've done that before, and they've done a Neil Young song and, Well, <laughs> yeah. But the fact that they were just closing with Karma Police, you know, in 2000, I guess it was 2018 at the time, um, and had it was like just like they had fully embraced that, you know what, we can't get away from it anymore. This is our fucking song. This is like the song that made us kind of jump off the map. 
Um, and then it was honestly an emotional experience of just like Tom standing there with an acoustic guitar, the lights dimmed, just himself playing that that riff, do 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 do, and then the whole audience going. <laughs> well, no, it's like it's he's play, he, he, he's playing the bass. He's playing the bass line. Listen to it. No, seriously, listen listen to it. That's that's the what he's playing. He's he, he's doing that like he he repeats that, and then he plays the chords. He's just he's playing the bass line anyway. And then the audience, just everyone saying that for a minute there, I lost myself. Um, and for me, that was like so emotional, just like him not even singing. It just did not feel like Radiohead. And for some reason, that just made me feel, I don't know. It was just, it was such a magical experience. And I'm sure you guys, when you saw it, they also closed uh, with. You actually, I think, FaceTimed me during that moment, and Mac was in my apartment when you did that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Did, did I or did I? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, you were waiting for fake plastic That's trees, right. but they ended with karma. But police. then I did see fake plastic trees in Detroit, and I FaceTimed you during that one as well, and that was uh, yeah. that was real nice. Um, yeah. um, well, I, but I want to say I didn't. It's weird that you had that impression of this song because I I don't remember ever feeling that way that it was as. That there, were, that there was much of a contrarian attitude towards it. I mean, it definitely makes sense because it, it is, you know, as well received as like Creep was. For sure. If you're a big enough fan with a Radiohead, ta Radiohead tattoo and it's 2005 and you're listening to Karma Police, I feel like someone would say to you, oh, you're not a real Radiohead fan. You, like, well, I'm sh I'm sure. It's yeah, not but, the song. And maybe it, like when I yeah. maybe when we started listening to them, it kind of that had kind of phased out but i i never really felt that there was that much animosity from radiohead fans for it but you're, you're not a hatred right. but yeah it's like if there were rules of radiohead rule number one don't fall in love with comma police too early maybe right maybe you're writing the rule book i didn't write it <laughs> i'm part of this goddamn cult i didn't choose to be <laughs> um well yeah i i mean I I don't know if they if they played this at our show, uh, but this is definitely one that I would I would love to see live if they haven't uh, or if I haven't seen them play this live because I, I feel like I would have had a very similar emotional reaction to it, um, and also because the, you know, as a young guy coming up on Radiohead, um, it's a very easy song to learn. So like you know we played this all the time, and you know in a similar way as Fake Plastic Trees. Um, yeah, I saw them play this at uh, Bonnaroo in 2012, and it was awesome. That, and it was a similar thing. What'd you say, Jeff? I said, was that you were Googling so loud over there? It was, but that <laughs> noise didn't come from me. Um, but, um, yeah, well, I feel like on that note of, like, the, this being a hit, does Radiohead have a lot of, like, sing-along songs like that? And, like, it's, like, you know, a lot of, like, those kinds of pop songs have like a, a repeated thing that the audience can like catch on to and sing. There's not really another song on OK Computer that's like that that I can think of. No, um, I mean definitely amongst my friends when Radiohead is on, like <laughs> Paranoid Android is definitely a big one where the whole room gathers around and sings almost in a Bohemian Rhapsody way. Yeah. <laughs> um, True, but uh, I I think you're right about that. It it is in by its nature a very like sing along construction um so i yeah all right well 
enough about Karma Police. Great song. We move on to track seven. Um, kind of an interstitial song, but it's an interesting one. Track seven, Fitter Happier. A safer car, baby smiling in backseat, sleeping well, no bad dreams, no paranoia, careful to all animals, never watching spiders done up like all. Keep in contact with those. It's, it's, uh, it's bridges the gap between karma police and electioneering, but most notable for um, the element of it's it's kind of a spoken word piece by a computer generated voice. Right. Uh, the same generated voice we use uh, for our intro for this podcast. Um, the Mac uh, generated voice named Fred. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a hard track to uh, for me to like piece. It's like it's very evocative of like maybe I don't know if advertising is the right word, but like Americana almost like phrases like like um, uh, like it definitely evokes like a thing of like going through the motions and like yeah I'm like buying this I'm doing this I'm living like I have a like the I don't know I'm very much paraphrasing inelegantly but like um, I have like the the wife and the kid and a good job and I'm like happy for this reason but it's like obviously such a dark sounding song and like hearing it from this computerized voice makes it sound like oh well these are just like what you're told you're supposed to be have like what you're told you're supposed to have as opposed to like something different you might want like oh I'm, i have these things and i should be happy because this is what everybody's supposed to have i'm just like mm-hmm. this robot who like has the things people tell me to have i don't like think i don't know very surface level kind of analogy I mean, there perhaps but the the how it ends a pig in a cage on antibiotics like is describing me i mean <laughs> no it's just so good i mean it's about like you know how they all the animals that we eat they're all pumped full of antibiotics and like you know they were reading a lot about it at the time but it's also talking about like the speaker and all of us and Mm. you know everyone in society like yeah yeah i i kind of see it as like a mantra to like be a model citizen a model american um like these things that you get you go through you that you have to like recite in your head like i just like how there's there's these lyrics that are thrown in there or whatever spoken word that's thrown in there um like one was about like oh no killing moths or putting boiling water on the ants which is like so specific because they're all really relatable and then you have a few that are thrown in there that are just like very specific maybe i don't know reminiscing on tom's past very specific things i have no idea oh some of those you know how i see it now if it were like a robot learning to be a human being Mm, like the it was like this is the program loaded up of like all the things you can't do yeah (laughs) and like even down to like the littlest thing like don't kill them off yeah 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 and that's super relevant today in terms of like you know all the stuff that's going on with robotics and uh, machine learning, AI, well, where it's it's like we're literally programming these things to be like us. Well, and that's like one of the hardest things for them to program is like morals into AI. Like how do you get it to like do all these functions but also like have empathy? Mm-hmm. That's like the, the mm-hmm. hardest thing that they're finding to like get into the software. I think everybody like it's almost like a list of things is kind of what you're describing mm-hmm. a list of things that like you shouldn't do right. 
or you should be like conscious of of not doing i guess yeah well it it, go, it goes back and forth between, like, don't do these things and, like, these are the yeah. things you should be doing. Yeah. Um, well, the, the music on this, I actually, I really love the background uh, sounds in here. I don't know if it's actually a live orchestra. I think it, it is. Uh, but I've always, it's, it's, like, not one that I put on often just because it's, it is kind of strange to just, like, listen to and play without the context of the album. But the soundtrack is really brilliant on this. Let's drill into frozen winter shit. The ability to laugh at weakness. Calm, fitter, healthier, and more productive. Okay, in a cage. Um, one thing I learned reading about this, uh, this I don't know if this is the part that answers your question because I don't know exactly what this loop is, but um, in the background of the song is a, a loop from the 1975 film Three Days of the Condor, which I don't know what that movie is. or And if it's if that's a musical loop or like a more textural sound effects or, or vocal loop or whatever. But I think like, it is like a very synthetic, uh, programmed song. Um, the other thing I have to say about this is this was years ago, but every time I hear this song, there's this, uh, really funny, uh, writer comedian who I know mostly from Twitter named Brendan O'Hare. And he had this riff about a guy listening to this song and not getting it. And like, being like oh yeah that sounds good like I, it sounds awesome like i would love to and, but the thing i remember the most is he's like listening to fitter happier and then at the end being like that sounds like one healthy pig <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of that every time i hear this song i this one time so i i never really i don't like listening to the song i've like i will never i've never like put on fitter fitter happier i've never like you know, like you don't get an urge to play this song at a party or at a bar, whatever. I do remember this one time I was in a long car ride. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I was in a four hour car ride. Uh, actually, on my way to see Mike was at OU when we were going to visit him. And we got like the people in the car. I think it was like four of us. We all got in like a big fight about what to put on. And um, my friend Ryan was like. Um, I just want to play a song. I just want to play a song. We're like, all right, Ryan, you play a song, anything in the whole world. And like, he's like, all right, I want to listen to Fitter Happier. And he was serious. And the car exploded of just like, no, we're not putting that song on. And then we got in an argument <laughs> about pretty much this song and putting the song on and why we shouldn't put the song on at that time. It, every time I hear that, this song makes me think of that awful memory and how ryan has a bad taste in music ryan by the way a well-known uh podcast guest regular on the show just ki- just yeah. kidding ryan i love you but bad um, pick i mean i day. i wouldn't disagree with that i you know i wouldn't want to put that on if i were like driving um and i i did just listen to the clip very quickly um i think it's it's just the the there's like words from the scene that they take it's not actually music from the scene okay. um yeah but this to me feels like Johnny like getting more into like film composition realm where it's it's just dialogue and he's setting the dialogue to music. What what would this be like in the day, like back in ninety seven, if you were to hear a song on an album that sounded like Okay, this? but that that's Which crazy. Is like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, if this appeared on, you know, it's almost like just like a I don't know, what is this song? Like one minute? Almost like a segue song or something. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if it, kind of an interstitial. Yeah, if it appeared on like a Vampire Weekend album, some would be like, "Oh, that's weird." Like, no one's gonna listen to that. But it's not, you know, that's it's it's not like I don't know. If you if this song was in '97 when there's Alanis Morissette on the radio, 
and you just yeah. have listened to Karma Police and you hear this, it's like, what the fuck? Well, I was going to say, like, it may not... It's like they're trying to sabotage it themselves. It may not be out of place on like a Pink Floyd album or a Beatles album, uh, but definitely for the time, I mean, to be going back to like some more like... Um, what's the word? Like like esoteric means of like like continuing an album, like more heady type stuff, radio heady type stuff. Um, I think it was a brilliant choice, especially on this album, because they had the music to back it up. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I have, I have no gripes with this track. It does exactly what I think it should do, especially at this spot in the album. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and Fitter Happier transitions us right into the next song, which we've talked about maybe being a little bit of out of place on this yep. record, even though it's a great track. Uh, Fitter Happier leads us right into Electioneering, um, which is a standout on the album because it is just a very heavy rock track. And it's it's badass, has a lot of great riffs going on. And contrary to kind of what you we were saying earlier, this song does have a solo that sounds just like an improvised solo to me. Maybe not all of it, but like there's parts that definitely don't sound, it sound like not written and improvised yeah. to me. So, um, be, it's be, a really, really good song. We, we, we've mentioned like, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, before we get into this, I was listening to the song yesterday, walking down the street um, through Manhattan, and it was all pumped up. And I was like, this is a fucking awesome song, perfectly placed on a perfect album. And I thought about one episode, Mike. When you mentioned how this should have been a goddamn B side, yeah. and I want to say fuck you, dude. No, and I'm st- I'm still mad. I, at I'm you. I'm I, still I, on board song, with that idea. You're an you're an idiot. This song is awesome. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I I just I was walking down the street like with my teeth grinding, thinking about you, listening to this song. It was it, so. What you're telling me is that you're biased about this track. I mean, what is what is this entire goddamn podcast? <laughs> you're by you had a good you had a good talking about this, this track in New opinion. York City, so you love the track. Uh, I don't. But even when you said that album. the first time, it pissed me off because it's, it's such a wrong thing to say. Yeah, okay, well let's get it. Let's, I should have been the ho- I should have been the co-host. Let's, let's dive into it then. Let's dive into it. Um, Julia, do you have something to say? <laughs> <laughs> Should have been me. You should have picked me. Listening to the song in Manhattan the other day? No. Uh, I have nothing to say. I like this song. I like it on the album. I wanted to stay there. I'm sorry, Mike. It sets me up for my favorite song, which is next after this one. So I got to say, I don't know why this this turned into like a huge argument. I had one opinion that one one big boy <laughs> disagreed well, with very angrily. It was it was wrong. <laughs> it was the wrong thing to say. All the big You're just like Fred Durst, dude. <laughs> Joe, how much milk you been drinking? When are you going to apologize? <laughs> just like just like Durst. Just All like right. Durst. Let's let's talk about the song. All right, let's talk about it. Let's, let's bring it down. Um, probably the most, uh, explicitly, um, political song on the album. Yeah, I think certainly. Uh, yeah. maybe of any album. 
Um, I mean, just by the title alone. Um, and thinking about 1997, I, I mean, at least in United States, obviously you brought up like Bill Clinton. I don't know if this is an attack on Clinton presidency um, or just like politics in general, maybe British politics. Um, but yeah, he's, he's very mean and you can hear that in the lyrics and also in the music itself. So I, I'll say like, this is, this is like the heaviest song on the album. And um, I think the thing that does make it feel like a, it's a great song. I love it. And I like it on this album. I like that again, like talking about how all these songs do different things. The song does a, a thing on this album that only it does. Um, but it does like, like Pablo Honey or the Benz, it's this very guitar centric writing and a very um, like, you know, uh, simple like rock uh, structure of a song. And it, it rules. It's a great song. But I do see like, it is just like, this song was like clearly written around the guitar riffs and, and, and the vocal melody. And it's like an A, B, A, B guitar solo B. Like, like a very typical verse chorus structure so i can i can i can see um i i like it here i think it could go either way but i also wonder if like i mean i can see it i don't know if i could see it on the bends but i think i could see it on pablo honey because pablo honey is so like angsty and like this song is so overt pablo honey is so overt so i i, I see that but i i do like it here i like having this like big banger here well um, so the the episode we talked about this song specifically was when we talked about the b-sides um and in particular there was one b-side that we discussed that uh i th i thought would work better in place of this track which was polyethylene um oh yeah i could see that and, and i think it's because i i have no problem with this track first of all i love this track um I think from start to finish, this track is awesome to listen to. It's one that I'll, I'll always rock out to. Um, but on this album, it it feels a little out of place to me because uh, it, it goes almost like a little too over the top and is reaching a little bit too far backward for me. Um, whereas like a track like Polyethylene feels actually more like a polished version of what they were doing with this where it actually, it's, it feels like that would have fit a little bit better. And I don't know what the order of when they wrote these tracks, if they wrote Electioneering and then Polyethylene was released afterwards or whatever. You, Mike, um, you, are you thinking of Pearly or Polyethylene? Or, oh, no, sorry, Pearly. I, why the hell am I saying Polyethylene? I am thinking Pearly. Early, yeah, I because they're very similar qualities to the sound, like kind pretty much guitar-driven tracks, uh, and it's not necessarily that this one is like way heavier than Pearly. It's just that Pearly has a little bit more of the the song construction that fits, I think, a little bit better with this album, while also being kind of heavy. And it's the recording that that, that exists is like the most polished version. But I feel like if they wanted to make that fit the album it would have been a much easier fit than electioneering is and that's all i'll say joe you can have your point i mean the only thing else like if you step back and think about this like so when i was listening to this you know on my nice stroll through the city the other day i was listening to the album cradle to grave and just you know really appreciating it for what it was um and like 
the thing that's great about this song, Mac, you mentioned it. It's just like it's a it's a rock song. It's like the heaviest song on the album. Um, and part of the reason I think that the album, this album was so successful is because it applies. There's something in here for like everybody, right? Like the nerds, the hopeless romantics, the stoners. And then you have like this, like uh, maybe the metalheads, like basically a song that anyone can listen to or someone can pick out and be like, okay, you know what? I like that song. Um, and I think that without this song, you don't have that grit. You don't have that heavy, um, you know, dirty song in there. And like Pearly just isn't going to, it's going to make it, um, it's almost going to put too much of a perfect glaze over top of the album. This is the one that just like sticks out like a sore thumb, which I think is part of what makes this album so perfect. I mean, I agree. I Like, I like that idea. Um, I'm not so into the idea of like, it needs to be like kind of, cause that almost makes it sound like it needed to be a more of a hodgepodge for like grab, but it wasn't. People. And that's why it's fantastic. Uh, and, it, and it's, and it's not, I don't think that's what you're saying, but I do. Uh, I don't know. I still think that, pearly because it pearly does get pretty damn heavy uh i just i just yeah but so it's paranoid android but not like one that just like right off the bat just like whatever that shaken thing is at the beginning and then i the, my my only thing just gets dirty right away this will this is will be the last thing i'll say about this because i know we're going to disagree on this i i think that pearly does what we talked about like with paranoid android where it's a little bit more thought out this this one seems a little less thought out to me than Pearly was. So and it's not that I think that electioneering shouldn't be on the album. If that's what I said, I'll take it back. I just think that if you were to replace anything off this album with one of the B sides, which was the conversation we were having on that episode, I think Pearly would fit better here. But I just don't understand like you have fitter fitter happier, which is like what we just established is basically a copycat song of just like, you know, words that weren't really written by radiohead um well like no how that's, can you they were written by the, say the that thing that, that i referenced was they used background sounds from that oh apologies sorry about that but anyway that song's a minute long like you say do you think that one belongs more in this album than lectioneering maybe Absolutely. sorry if i'm getting too yeah to, well but i think that I'm fitter in. happier serves a purpose in being in that spot in the album whereas electioneering coming out of that i think that you could be big like that i'm just it's not so much of the nature of the song as it is the execution. And I think Pearly does that better. Yeah. Well, I'd rather have this song than fit no. up here. All right. So we disagree. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, all right, let's, let's move on. Let's leave that up in the air and move on to. Trick. No, I want to talk about this. Again. You know what? I'm taking off my fucking headphones. Let's go. Let's Table go. it. We're talking about it. Nope. Make another episode just about this. Joe, meet Sorry, me. Go ahead. Meet me fucking outside right now. This is my favorite song. Number nine. Number nine. Climbing, nine. Up, the, climbing up the walls by Radiohead on OK Computer. My favorite song on this Julia, album. Take it yeah, Julia, go for it. I don't know. I listened to this album in high school, and in high school, this was my favorite song. I think think the song is really great i could listen to it over and over again and if it did come on in a bar i'd be super happy about it in fact i think it was hot that's all i got tell tell us why if i had a radio club radio head themed strip club this would be the song (laughs) (laughs) tell us more I would love to see a strip routine to this song. <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think should be done. 
I think it's great. I love the song. And, and I mean, I've read all about the song. Like, I know about the mental institutions. Still, I think this is such a great song. I don't know anything about that, honestly. Oh, Tom York used to work in a mental institution. I was reading about this right before we were recording. I I had not I did not know this until um, yeah I didn't right, know right before this. yeah yeah and I think there was some kind of movement in Britain to like release people from mental institutions or and or I read two different things one where it was like there was like a movement to like normalize and release people from mental institutions back into normal society and then also that he saw somebody escape from the mental institution. Um, who wasn't dangerous, but he was like not fit to be in functioning society. And he was like running through a field and like these people are chasing him in the dark. Um, and that's part of what he wrote this song about. Yeah. Th- this song, I think like, I mean, going from the lyrics to, like, the tone, I think this is, like, the, the most effective, like, dark mood piece on the album. Just from, like, though that opening, like, I don't know if it's just bass or, like, a bassy synth, but it is just so foreboding. Like, the tone, like, it's so effective at quickly transmitting this dread and fear. Oh, man, it, it, it's it's such a, like scary song to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's Joe's contribution. You'll leave? I have to pee. I'll be yeah, back. For me, okay. this is one of the songs that I like. Don't listen to the lyrics as much, and like the music is what really affects me. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I see it as uh, much more of a a mood point, a mood, mood piece, point. if anything. Um, um yeah, I, I didn't know at all about um that story. So now I have to. I'm like trying to recontextualize a lot of those sounds in there if, if maybe that's like the narrative maybe i shouldn't do that because I, I mean we don't have like confirmation that that's what it's about but um he definitely worked at a mental institution yeah he worked I, i'm reading this this is just from wikipedia which i have up um yeah he worked as at an as an orderly in a mental hospital yeah okay which is um yeah something i never knew about tom york that um fits but i never knew yeah yeah i mean that's uh i can't say that like in 19 well whenever he was working there it wouldn't it wouldn't have been in 1997 obviously before 97 um i'm trying to remember what sort of reform there was uh it's this was back in like the 80s yeah he's he specifically um it's i i'm i'm reading from wikipedia i do not have the political knowledge but it was policy called care in the care in the community British policy of deinstitutionalization, treating and caring for physically and mentally disabled people in their homes rather than an institution. Right. I was going to say, I, d- I didn't recognize that, but that's British, and I'm thinking of the American oh, yeah. version of that. Um, yeah. But, so <laughs> that's actually what leads to me having a job today. Yeah. Uh, so what I, I work with what's called the waiver 
I, I don't want to get too much into this, but waiver is like you waive your uh, ability to be institutionalized, like basically having like a place where you're cared for and you don't have to worry about that. But waiver is like another funding source that's given to you by the government. So you pr- you're provided for with in-home care without having to pay out of pocket for it. Uh, which kind of stems from that idea of like not being institutionalized. And this is when people say mental illness, it's an, it's important to say that not everything that we consider mental illness is mental illness. So like that, that what could go under that umbrella is like uh, cerebral palsy or down syndrome or very other severe uh, physical or what have you disabilities. But we do still have institutions for, mentally disabled anyways that's not the point of this um but that's that's interesting that that would have been around his time yeah it's uh, uh what i'm reading here says that it had um i mean i don't know if there was like a specific law that enacted it but it was it existed in the 60s and 70s but um margaret thatcher was a huge um advocate for it um i i don't know enough well i like to get political but i do not know enough about that to say a lot in the u.s we had it but i think we had it earlier actually under kennedy um there was there was still some after that and it got better and better but uh there was i can't remember the name of it during kennedy uh there was a lot more um care and thought put into how to treat individuals with these disabilities um, so maybe it happened quicker in the United States. Um, but anyways, so climbing up the walls. <laughs> um, I, now I'm thinking like, that's a very mean title for this track. <laughs> um, Just wait until you see the strip routine. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Um, okay, so let's talk about the music then. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I well, think you're the one to talk so about this. So this. this is the one that Johnny has talked about referencing Penderecki. Um, yes. Penderecki, contemporary 20, 21st century composer. I believe he's, yeah, he's still alive to this day. Um, known for things like Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima, a piece used in the most recent Twin Peaks season with the big nuclear bomb. Uh, just to give some reference. Extremely dissonant microtonal string piece. Right. Probably the piece he's most well known for. Obviously he's, he's composed a lot more than that. Um, But I think the style that Johnny took from his writing was a lot more of like, yeah, that, that microtonalism, I don't even think that there's necessarily strings on this album, but he does do a lot of stuff with electronics where it's building um, kind of just like this very dissonant texture, which is a lot of the reason why you get some of this mood, this very like haunting mood throughout this whole thing. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I mean, we, we haven't referenced other people, some of their influences on previous tracks, but this is definitely one to point out because we've talked about it so much that Johnny Greenwood is a huge uh, Penderecki fan. Yeah, and it's extremely overt here, I think. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I mean, definitely the end of the track um, is probably what he's mostly referencing. 
yeah i, I mean I, I mean the the i think the bass and the drums are kind of just doing a thing of again just keeping it grounded where tom and johnny have this room to really just experiment up top the the purpose of ed or ed <laughs> i don't know what ed's doing on this <laughs> uh colin and phil is really just to kind of keep it existing on this album and i think it's well it's well executed um and it is it's very it's maybe one of the most experimental tracks that they definitely at this point that they've done um and maybe one of the most experimental things they've ever done i I don't like using the term experimental because it means nothing but it's really them getting outside of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. yeah and i easily i could say that there was nothing at the time and maybe before it that sounded like this track yeah certainly not in rock music absolutely and not in the well that's a good point to bring up because obviously it's referencing penderecki but in like the context of like radiohead really trying to sell it with like having tom sing vocals over this it's it's the same thing as um scott walker that we talked about you know recontextualizing a lot of these ideas um and not in, in like a more uh, consumable way, but just in like a, a more modernized way to kind of appeal in a sense, but also just fit what they could do. Man, one one musical element I do love on this, and it's like, I guess if we're thinking like this conceptual like idea of um, somebody who struggles from debilitating mental health issues, like the way that distortion is gradually added to Tom's voice near the end of the song mm-hmm. as he, as his vocal becomes more of a scream. Yeah. Oh, I was going to, I was going to reference yeah. that. He screams at the end. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. screaming and his voice is just becoming more and more distorted, man. It is like this track uses like the timbre and the tone of it, of all the instruments works so well. Which is funny because the next song is the most pleasant, beautiful sounding song. I'm <laughs> um, yeah. I, does anybody have anything more to talk about on climbing up the walls? Julia, this was your favorite one. Do you have any final notes on it? Is Joe still paying? Well, he did have three drinks, so maybe. <laughs> oh, dude. His bathroom is like uh, <laughs> a mile away from where he's recording. No, Mike, I moved. I have a bathroom next to my office slash. Oh, that's right. You did. Okay. Thanks for chiming in to remind me of that. (laughs) So. Joe, anything on climbing up the walls? My favorite track on this album. Uh, no, 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 no. I, the only thing I'll (laughs) say. Wow. 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 Um, if we're going to segue into the next song, Max said it's the most beautiful song in the album. No surprises, but um, I will, you know, again, disagree that it's electioneering. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Mac, take it away. Um, all right. Well, after climbing up the walls, this um, one of the darkest tracks on the album, as, as I just said, we have one of the most happiest and pleasant and beautiful tracks, which is uh, track 10, No Surprises. Absolutely beautiful song. Um, 
it it's and I I think it's perhaps the most positive song on the album. I mean, you could say that about I mean, Subterranean Opsic Alien has has kind of a positive sound to it as well. But and th- this track starts with um you know some some more darker imagery and p- possibly references a suicide or an unhappy uh, romantic relationship. But then I feel like this song is about like coming out of that and like moving past that and learning to like appreciate um, these like very simple pleasures of life, like a beautiful house and a beautiful garden and like coming, coming to like look at things like from our perspective of them being so dark and then like learning to realize that things are, are actually like very good and pleasant. Yeah. And, um, that's that's something the very few Radiohead songs do, and the the production is the or the the songwriting is very very simple again. But man, the production on on this track as well is is so beautiful and and lush and like. So in the first episode, Mike describes this song like better than anyone. Yeah, the first episode you guys did describes this song like better than anyone I've ever heard. Describe it about like the glaze that that's over this one, and I actually. Mike, if you wouldn't mind talking like about this song from how it sounds first, just because I think that you describe it so well. Uh, well, of course, I'm glad we can agree on something again. <laughs> Fuck you, dickhead. <laughs> I thought you had completely thrown me out of your life at this point. Oh, dude, I'm just drinking milk. <laughs> Back to you know milk. Me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's there's something about this track that I don't know that I've experienced from any other Radiohead track uh, after this. And I'll go as far as to say, like, maybe any other track in my life. Like, the production on this, I think, is some of the best execution for, like, the way the notes work, the way that the the like almost well there's like kind of like a xylophone sound in the background kind of bringing you down to this more childish nostalgic nature um and i use the word glaze because every time i hear this song it's almost like there's just like if you were to just like put like a very like thin delicate layer of frosting over this whole thing and not not in a bad way but it's like this just beautiful glaze that kind of just ties all of the ingredients together um there's there's it's like hard to figure out exactly what it is um it's but it's the instrumentation that you know if you were any other band you wouldn't think like oh let's put a xylophone on that line there let's let's highlight that melody line uh or let's have the guitar uh as kind of just like this acoustic sound just kind of picking and arpeggiating through this thing at the beginning you know you might just strum the thing and go through the song normally but it's all of these little pieces that come in and out the way that the cymbals sound when they crash in they're so soft they're not unsettling there's there's no jarring moment on this it's always at like a certain bar that they set that it can't go past and it's it's this beautiful softness to it that I you do not experience with many other songs that exist and have existed before this. I think 
the way like from a, a sonic standpoint the way that the song is built is like uh like looking at like a measure the side of a measuring cup like you have like every every sound has like a it's like perfectly balanced away from each other like you have like every frequency that just has its perfect distance from one another and everything sticks out so if you want to listen to the cymbal crash like you can just close your eyes and listen to the cymbal crash or like what is it a xylophone or what, what is the like the bells yeah uh, glockenspiel glockenspiel sorry glockenspiel yeah. um um and then like the acoustic guitar that just fills that warmth of like the mid-range and even tom's voice that fills somewhere between like that um that low to mid-range which is usually drowned out by like a guitar everything just like i said it's like looking at a measuring cup like everything has the perfect amounts the perfect ingredients that fill up right to that right to that marker uh, right. on the side of the glass um i just think it's it's just so perfectly balanced and so perfectly mixed and, yeah. and mike you you totally just yeah knocked it out of the park with that explanation of it so thank you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um one interesting thing about this song that i think contributes to that like the only word I or like word that's coming to me is like there's like a glaze over this song, which is a good thing. I don't mean that negative. It might sound negative. That's just the word that's coming to my head. I already said the that. One... <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's why it was in my head. Sorry, I'm also reading. On my... Wait, are you you literally just repeated Mike verbatim? I thought that was a joke. <laughs> I, no. I was waiting for Mike... you to say like, oh yeah, sorry, I'm just kidding. No, Mike. I was, I Mike was... literally said he said it's like there's a glaze over it. Maybe that that's sounds so... like maybe that sounds like a negative. Thing. that's that's so funny i literally was reading wikipedia so i was a little bit distracted and wasn't listening that closely to mike wow that new host on season were you listening to me dude what are you doing over there i was listening anyway you're gonna edit whatever. out my my whole spiel and add your own in there your whole glockenspiel <laughs> i did forget that it was a glock all right i diverted the joke time to move on um so one con one contribution to you're that a joke all right, all right. Pause the podcast. Joe and I have to have a talk real quick. We can't. We can't pause the podcast. We're at two hours and twenty minutes. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um. So one thing you guys might have known this, but um, one thing that contributes to that sound, I think, is this song was recorded at a faster tempo than it is, and then Nigel Godrich slowed everything down, and that's mm. what Tom sang over. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So that that probably adds to that, like the feeling of this song every you know, other instrument was recorded at a faster tempo you can hear that in the glockens is it spiel or spiel? Glock, Glock, Glock. if you're if you're fully german you can say glockenspiel um but you and can I, hear well, you can yeah. hear that it like resonates a little bit too, like too it's like unnatural right yeah. like how long like I, if you're like if you're playing a xylophone it's just like ding yeah. um but you can hear it just like drag out that makes total sense that's awesome yeah, I, I feel like even the lead guitar, now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm going to listen to this song again and be like, oh yeah, I can hear it. Even if I, I'm just telling that to myself. I feel like the guitar too, it's like, I don't know, extra wet. I don't know. The weird thing though, is that I don't feel that in the drums so much. Like the drums still feel like, because if they were playing at a faster tempo, you would feel at least like a little bit of an energy. I mean, maybe he didn't bump it down so much. Yeah, I don't think it was, I don't think it was a lot. And, and you know, per perhaps like, some instrument not every instrument was like that perhaps or like oh, after they did that it was overdubbed again or something mm -hmm. i don't know um but if we're using this metaphor of of baking and a glaze i think one of my favorite little moments in the song that i think of as the cherry on top of this song is in the last chorus tom adding those high harmonies mm -hmm. 
It's just the perfect little touch at the end of the song. talking about the let me out of here part no they're like eh, eh. oh that is what he's saying yeah. i always thought it was just like oz yeah let me out of here um but it's just like these very classical harmon like classic sounding harmonies and it's just like yes yeah. like that's what needs to be here it's so good um i i did want to touch a little bit on the lyrics yeah you briefly kind of you summed it up very well but i think um there's an even more important thing here where it's like it's a person who's experiencing a lot of struggle and then has to kind of work to get to that point of that such a pretty house, such a pretty garden. I don't know that it's like just like ignoring it because the whole like the first half of the song is so much despair. And then like in just a couple lines at the end, it's such a pretty house and such a pretty garden. Um, yeah, I mean, this whole album is about like everyday life. I mean, even if you think to like we were just talking about like climbing up the walls, like um you know like i mean well i guess aliens aren't part of everyday life but it's about dropping yourself into everyday life and then this about just like honestly just like on that suicidal experience that i think a lot of people have mm-hmm. um of just you know you're sad because of the the things that everyone's experiencing you're sad because of just we're going through the same routine even fitter happier you're you know especially talks about um you know kind of going through the motions and things like that and then the other thing, which is, you know, the song that, um, okay, not okay, right, Lift. Um, even that song, too, which was supposed to be part of this album, just basically talks about a guy being trapped in an elevator um, and going through the struggles of everyday life, um, which I think is super fascinating. It, it just, Ooh. it's like so sad and so um, emotional, even though there's there's not much to it. It's just, it's like the, the dense emotions we all feel is just everyday humans. Re- remember that for the end, Joe, because I think we should very, we should touch on that at some point. Re- touch on what? Sorry. I'm oh, okay. Not okay. Saying. Oh yeah. Um, sure. oh, well, so <clears throat> to, maybe we should not touch on that because we're going pretty long. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe very briefly. Uh, the, the last thing I want to say in this is I could also, I could, so coming right after coming, climbing up the walls, um, as, as somebody who has worked in a mental health setting, you know, Tom York has maybe uh, seen people who have like clinical depression. This could, this could be another side of uh, this track where so much is building up in these people's lives and it's so hard to get past that depression and then, you know, working towards such a pretty house, but it also could be a even more sinister thing where because that's such a pretty house and such a pretty garden is such a small thing that it's more of like a sedation where it's like you're taking these drugs and you're like, Mm -hmm. feel better in this moment. So such a pretty house, such a pretty garden where you're almost like distracted by your problems for a second. And then you come back to no alarms. You know, that feeling of like uh, when you're like really sick or nauseous and like, you're just like holding on to like one thought of just like, you know, like kind of like help coaching you through like, just a feel like, just, I just got to think about this one thing, this one thing, this one thing. That's how I feel at the end where this guy's just like almost like go, having a panic attack or this, you know, this person is having a panic attack and they're just like latching on this, but I have such a pretty house and I have such a pretty garden. I have such a pretty house. I have such a pretty garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just explodes into this, let me out of here kind of thing. Yeah. 
Well, and I, I love the last word of this song. No alarms. So every time you've heard no alarms and no surprises, and then the very last line, no alarms and no surprises, please. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's like begging for it very cordially. Mm-hmm. Just please. Yeah. And I think it sets it up well to go into like the last two tracks too, because it like the last two tracks are a little bit more like I mean, obviously, I don't want to jump ahead, but like you get lucky and then the tourist, which is about like slowing down. So it's just like, you know, like my luck could change. And then this is like, slow down and enjoy your life. Like, okay, like I have this pretty house and pretty garden. Like, I need to like slow down and I need to like my life. It could like take a different direction. And like things are starting to look up, you know, like. Yeah, Julie, it's like this this album's like a therapy session almost yeah by the end of the album like you're getting a little bit more resolution like to some of the existential turmoil to like mundane life that you're experiencing well but that's a good thing to bring up because you know radiohead gets a lot of flack for being all doom and gloom but i think when you listen from start to finish on this album it's a good example of you know it starts out that way but they're really they're not advertising that you need to be depressed like we are they're saying like this this is there is like a happy ending to this in a way and they're they're kind of speaking to maybe people who are feeling uh more depressed or more uncomfortable with their life and are saying these are kind of solutions to get out of that Uh, nothing i burped (laughs) nothing but a burp all right, well, we can move on to Lucky if everybody's okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we've talked about uh, a good bit about no surprises. So we're in the home stretch here um, with track 11, Lucky. Um, I would say another another fairly big song on the record. Uh, it was a single. Um, an interesting thing about this, um, I, I, I brought up Exit Music was a song they wrote outside the album. So Lucky was written and recorded in 1995, and it was the first song recorded for this record and um i think i knew that but what i didn't know was it was commissioned um for the band to write by brian eno who was creating this album called the help album which was a charity compilation um what was it for wikipedia is telling me it was for aid to war-stricken areas such as bosnia and erzegovina god i'm such a dumb american um anyway herzegovina yeah that's it um so so this was recorded and this was the one they said like this what like was indicative of what we wanted to do and like doing this song first and like ex- like making this was like yeah this is the direction we're going is another one to me um i i don't have the same electioneering sentiment but it's another one that um feels a little bit more ben's era to me in some ways like the, the guitar lines are I don't, I don't know it feels like it has a little bit you're maybe a literal idiot <laughs> maybe it has like a lower uh production quality to it as kind of like simulating a little bit more of an older sound because um, even like the drums in particular have kind of more of a Benz-esque quality to them in this. Um, 
I I don't know. I I I like this track, but it's not like a big standout to me. I I agree, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it literally was written in during the Benz tour, like it and recorded first. Yeah. So it it is. I think it does have that element to it, but it it does stand out. Uh, it does have a little bit more going on sonically, I think, than a lot of Benz tracks do. Oh, it does for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I think this one just like, I mean, part of the reason I, I again think it belongs on here is because like it um like when it, it just digs deep i guess for, on an emotional level right like it's like the bends is like very shallow stuff it's like it seems to be and even pablo honey of course too it just gets like more and uh, sorry more deeper in, in in like in like the the feeling area if you will um i don't know there's just something about it like when that chorus hits pull me out um it just feels like this explosion of just energy and warmth that I, it wouldn't fit on any of the previous albums, and I think it, it's why it works here really well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I have a lot, I, I have a lot of um, emotional attachment to this song just from the fact that, it, like, I think Mike, we listened to a lot in college, like at parties, and it was always just one of those songs you throw your fists up at. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that's pretty much pretty much it. Well, I think it's lyrically, it's also very in line with uh previous tracks on the album it you know it's kind of asking for relief in a way i mean pull me out of the air crash out of the lake uh and like trying to prop yourself up maybe like um thinking high of yourself to make yourself you know feel higher in a way like i'm a superhero uh like the head of state is called for me by name like really like grandiose thoughts of yourself to really try and push yourself past uh issues in your life yeah i mean like in the wikipedia article it talks about like tom's fear of transportation and like that's where a lot of the song came from too and i think uh, they said that originally was supposed to be a lot more like politically explicit um but they wanted to tone it down especially because it was going to be on that like you know, yeah, the charity album, right, yeah, the charity album. So like, it couldn't be that crazy. Um, so, but I do think it like kind of, and probably for that reason, it's a little bit more helpful because it is going to be on that charity album. But it like helps in the album in like a more helpful way. Well, and the the line like we're standing on the edge. What is what's like your everybody's impression of that line? Because I can see it like multiple ways. We're standing on the edge. Yeah, I, I, well, like the lyrics I, I think about in this song, especially like with the title is like, like we're like being lucky, like I'm on a roll, like, and I think that's obviously like, we're seeing this common Tom York thing of like being tongue in cheek and sarcastic, especially when we're using that in the, with the tone of the music, which is like pretty dark, like oh yeah i'm 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 doing well but I, and then he says but i feel my luck can change so it's like i i don't know if i have a specific event he's like talking about but it's like kind of like feeling impending doom yeah but like kind of like things have been going f- like this sense of like things have been going fine like but you can tell something's coming up and it's like we're on the edge of 
Is my are things going to be easy or is something about to turn? Is my luck about to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which <clears throat> goes back to I think kind of like what Julia was saying is that like like it's almost like it's like a, a lot of this is in your head, if you will. Like it's the the whole I, I don't know. We talked about like this being sort of a, th- a therapy session. It's like that about like um, a feel of my luck could change is like that's just it's a feeling. It's like there's nothing that's gonna. There's no exterior, there's nothing in your environment that's like actually making a difference. Like all of this is just, um, just all in your own head mm-hmm. kind of thing. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, it's like relevant to like today, maybe not even like political, but it's like, it's something that I think everybody experiences, um, where like, no matter how well you're doing or how unsuccessful you are, you're always kind of like thinking the opposite in a way. Like you're, you're trying to compensate for that fact. Like if somebody... Like I, I find sometimes when I'm successful in my life, the next thing I'm doing is saying like, "Oh God, like what's the next bad thing that's going to happen?" Because that's yeah, about to it's come. Like balancing. Or if I'm if I'm doing really poorly, um, sometimes I'm like, I, I have to like pump myself up and get in this grandiose mode of like, "Well, I'm going to sell a million albums with this next thing I'm working on." Because it, it's like it's just compensating on both ends. Um, mm. And I, I kind of feel that a little bit with this and from what you were saying, where it's like it is it's all in your head. Like the, these lyrics to me are like what somebody might be thinking in these moments of like, yeah, overcompensation. You're, you're always teetering on the edge of like being happy and being sad. Like you're literally standing on the edge of just like it, it could take one thing. Right. Um, to just like pull you in a different direction. Well, and even which, like the title Lucky in a way is like. Am I successful because like I worked hard and I got there and it was me that got me there or did I just get lucky and like now it's going to fail after this moment? Well, this song almost reads a little bit like manic, you know, like it's like he's depressed and now he's like manic and then like the next song is like you just need to slow down um yeah I, I totally agree that that's that's exactly how I read this is like it's it's going back and forth yeah it's perfect Okay. All right. Well, should we close it out here with the last track? Last banger. Let's close it out. All right. Well, we got the last track on the record, track 12, The Tourist. This is a a track I really appreciate being on the end. And, like, I think it's a a good closer because it is one you can – like, this is a track, like, I think think of myself, like, closing my eyes listening to. Like, laying on my bed and, like, being lost in this song. And it, it like, it does some interesting things, but it's like, it's almost like this is one, it's just like the pleasure of like listening and not thinking about as opposed to a lot of the songs on this album. And so mm-hmm. I, I think it kind of, to me, ends in like this very dreamy space where you're like, because even like, we also describe like Subterranean Homes like Alien is dreamy, but that song has these big builds and like big choruses and and this song has some big sections too but i I think this one much more drifts and like carries you rather than like challenging you with something and i I think it's an interesting way to close this album that is like so thought-provoking with with one that to me is is so dreamy and 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 just like uh a listenable track that doesn't have the highest peaks or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's funny because like all the the highs 
are they're consistent there's not like a real like big climax i guess there is a moment where like there's like a big like drum build up towards the end but really the the dynamics for each chorus are pretty much the same um and the build up to that is just like a little bit lower um the the one thing I've always loved about this track though is what Johnny does on the guitar with some of those lines. I, I like that to me. Like even though this track maybe isn't one that people bring up all the time, it's still such an indicator of what Johnny was bringing to this band at the time of like in crafting like his own guitar style, uh, but also within this context, like really being able to sell a song with his guitar playing. But outside of that, I think uh, lyrically, it, it makes a lot of sense at the end of this track. Even if the track wasn't about all the things we've discussed today just as like a, a conceptualized closer like hey slow down like you're kind of you're coming to the end mm-hmm. like you, you've been through this journey let's let's bring you out slow down um but then within the context of the album with you know all these thoughts going on you know this this back and forth of like is are things good are things bad um and julio you brought up at the beginning um that they were kind of they were touring and going to many places visiting different people this could also be a mantra for themselves like when we're in these places you know slow down like our like even though we're touring and we're as a band like this isn't the only thing in our lives like we're also visiting new places let's slow down uh let's enjoy this moment that we're living in otherwise it's gonna zip right by us yeah yeah yeah, I mean, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's a very, like Mac was saying, like you can just like lay on your bed and listen to the song. It's like very relaxing, very peaceful. Um, it makes you slow down. It makes mm. you slow down. Yeah, and just like having, you know, a lot of this is just I think about like their observations about like people and like having been to so many places and seen so many tourists, like trying to see everything they can see and like moving around and like not really enjoying like the culture of any particular place. Just like trying to like check off boxes by like seeing different things, like just like slow down and take it all in. It's almost like, uh, we're all, it's not so corny, but we're all sort of like a tourist here. Like, it's like we have, again, maybe again, maybe this is too corny or like kind of bring it back together. But, um, about life and just how it, um, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're all, we all have like a short period of time here on life in life. Um, and we're all just sort of like a guest here for a period of time. Um, just so yeah, like as you're here, just, just bring it all in and absorb it and, and forget about all the other stupid things like your white picket fence or your pretty garden. Um, and just be here and enjoy it. Yeah. Keep breathing. It's like that at the end of castaway. I've never seen you, Castaway. Oh my god, it's so good! At the end of Castaway, he talks about um, how all he had to do was keep breathing, <laughs> and he found a sail, and he found a raft, and got off that island. That's not a lyric from this song. <laughs> keep breathing. That's a different song. <laughs> I just had to keep breathing. 
Yeah. I, I know. I'm just saying that's a, that's a lyric from a different Radiohead song. Wait, is it? I thought that was yeah. The Tourist. What song says that? Uh, You're talking about Castaway. No, I can't, I can't think of what song it is. That's not from The Tourist. Wait, really? Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of the wrong song. Keep breathing. What oh, song? that's exit. That's exit music. Oh yeah. fuck, you're right. <laughs> slow. Okay. Wait, in, wait, okay. Way to close it out, Mac. In my head, the part where he says "slow down, slow down," I was hearing it from the tourist, but the lyrics were "keep breathing." I was just conflating the lyrics, but I was hearing the tourist. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, well, we've officially reached that point in the podcast. Yeah, we've been uh, going for a long time, and I'm losing well, my mind. Okay, so let's let's get a second wind here. Um, you know, we've talked through all the tracks, and this is this is our last episode, so we want to go out on a good note here. Um, I mean, I don't really not, give a fuck, but if you feel that way... <laughs> I'm just saying, come on. Let, let's bring it back. To, let's close out this album, then. Um, so... Uh, I mean, is the, I, I don't even know if I need to ask this question, really. Like, does this album work for all of us? Of course. It's a masterpiece. Why would you ask that question? It's a masterpiece. That's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. <laughs> oh, gee. No, album fucking works. Yeah. Well, let's, let's bring it in from that into our closing statements on OK Computer, which... Man, I, I, I don't know if I need to go that long on because we just talked about this album for a long time. And I feel like over this entire podcast, not just this episode, we've made our feelings clear on on this album. And I I mean, this is it, it's part of what makes Radiohead so great is is that they went from doing something like this to doing Kid A and like reinventing even what they have achieved here. But if, if there is a signature album that's held up, you know, critically and, and, and historically by the band, it, it's this one. This is the one that, that is their most famous, that they're mo- the most known for. And, and for a good reason, it was the first uh, uh, a band that has many huge innovations and, and Mr. X um, and reversals. This is the first time they did it. And, and it still holds up to me. I mean, um, amazingly well, and it's it's very listenable. I think some people, I mean, and it was even looked at at the time as very challenging, but as, as we've kind of talked about, I think there's some challenging stuff on here. I think, you know, Paranoid Android, we talked about Fit or Happier, but I think a lot of it's very listenable music. And, and we've, we have, I mean, Karma Police, we have No Surprises, um, we have Lectioneering is a straightforward rock track. Airbag, Subterranean Homesick Alien, I think are very listenable uh, rock tracks. So I, I, I think, uh, again, I'm not going to hit this too hard again, but it, it really hits that place of being so challenging, but so listenable. I could listen to this. I probably do listen to this album, at least one song, almost every day. And, you know, I, I don't have much more to say about it, man. It's 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 It really is a masterpiece. It was then, and I think it still is now, 22 years later. So... Um, some great B-sides here as well, as, as we, we alluded to Lift, which came out uh, a couple of years ago on the remaster of this. Um, and again, it's a very poppy song, more akin to what would be on the bends that they chose not to release at the time because they didn't want to do that anymore. 
and it's still a great track. Uh, Polyethylene Parts One and Two is another another B side from that that I really love. But Pearly, Pearly is really great. I love Pearly as well. That's Ooh. A... <laughs> it's a good song. I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's great. Well, song. so if I'm putting this on with their their last, if I'm ranking this in Radiohead's discography, my brain's barely working, but I'll, I'll close this out here. So if it falls at number three for me. And th- those top three are so, so tight and close with each other. Um, we talked about my number one is Hail to the Thief, which has more of just like this rock energy that is just my more suited to me, and a, even a more eclectic energy that I appreciate. Um, after that, we have In Rainbows, which I think is just a perfectly cohesive orchestration of an album. But then number three, we have this one that was the first one to come out and do so many new things that I still think is maybe their most radical sounding work. I mean, I think you could argue some other ones as well, but it's it's amazing. And it's it truly is right there. Is, is, I wish I could lump those top three together and just say that's their best work. That's the band that those are, that's the music that makes this band my favorite band are those top three records right there. So it's it, it's it's pretty close to perfect in my eyes. It's it's just right under theirs as the best music they've ever made. Um, and that is my my closing thoughts. Anybody else? Where do you rank this? And and what do you what are your closing opinions? So, first of all, the the thing that comes to mind with this, um, and I want to say this for all albums, but especially this album, uh, is thank you to Radiohead um, because this is a big industry where taking risks is not often rewarded. Um, But when those people do take risks like this, everybody else gets the rewards from that. And not necessarily always the band who's taking those risks. Um, So this album in particular to me is um, is emotional to me because I, I and I don't say this about a lot of pieces of music, but I think that without this, it would have taken a lot longer to get to the point where we are in music today. Um, so the the biggest compliment that I can give to this album is thank you. Um, but in going along with that. Um, I have had such a wonderful journey listening to this album from when I was, you know, in eighth, ninth grade, and then learning about other <clears throat> Radiohead albums. Um, the the people I've met because of because this album existed, whether I was listening to it at the time or not after it, uh, um, like this album is the reason why I have a lot of connections today. So I have a very personal connection to this and this is why it makes it such a nostalgic album for me. Um, And I, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that this is in the library of Congress because it is truly, it is Beatles esque in the nature of truly being one of those standout things that changed music and is continuing to change new artists as they find this album because there are things on here that I still don't even be, I, I don't see done today. Uh, the, the care put into an album like this. Um, you, know, you know, there are tracks, you know, like we've discussed, I, I wouldn't consider this as 
a perfect of a uh, conceptualization of an album as like in rainbows, but uh, I think that's only because of the time when it was released, and I can't really fault it for that. Uh, so this is definitely perfect from the time where they were working from. Um, I I put this firmly. I've actually I had to change my placement of this because initially when we talked about Kid A. Uh, I put this below Kid A because um, Kid A is a little bit more musically, I think, my taste nowadays. Um, but thinking back and talking about this, um, I put this also at number three. Uh, below that being Kid A, Amnesiac. I still, I still can't figure out which one of those two albums I like more. But I've actually, I bumped this one up to number three. And in fact, while we were talking about this, I thought about putting it at number two. I still can't beat the perfection of In Rainbows uh, because it's just so rock solid. But this album had a chance to be there. It was just released so much earlier and they weren't quite ready to release something as polished as In Rainbows yet. But damn, it is so close. Um, So thank you for this album, Radiohead. And thank you for innovating on this. And like we talked about Scott Walker, you know, taking that path where when you create something great and you, you go outside of your comfort zone, not then going inside of that box again and then innovating after this. Cause this album itself is great, but it was just like the platform that they built so many other albums off of. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of pauses. Near done. The end of this one. <laughs> done. Sorry. I didn't know I had to say uh, done. All right. Um, Julia, Joby, what, uh, either Joby. of you, that is Joe's name on, uh, on the, the recording software right now. No. Um, final thoughts on okay computer. <laughs> final thoughts on okay computer. Anybody? I mean, just what everyone else said is just like, you know, I can listen to the album in high school and feel extremely moved by it, even though it was like, you know, I think about myself in high school and like the fact that I was like able to access this album and like feel really connected to it and then be in a different place in my life and feel just as connected to it in different ways um and also nostalgically like says a lot about the album um so it will always be an important album to me where do you rank it in radiohead's discography oh that's so hard because i mean just like everyone has also been saying about in rainbows like in rainbows and oaken computer are so neck and neck to me um, for different reasons, but I don't know. It final answer. It, it uh, ha. I'm gonna put it. <laughs> I'm gonna put it at number two. In rainbows being no, I don't know. It's so that's oh. so hard. Put yeah. the super album as uh, number one, and that that's will right. that will save say The super there. album is number one. <laughs> Joby? Well, you guys did it. I think at the beginning of this podcast, I said my favorite album was Moonshape Pool. And I think after this podcast, you guys brought it up to number one. So, okay, Computer is a <laughs> it's number one for me. You did it. Uh, but but in all, all, be honest, did we have to work that hard? In all seriousness, That's okay, Computer, for the, the longest time, like as long as I can remember, has been my favorite album. Like 100%, no competition. Um, I love this album like so much. I, it, it's... I mean, it's probably my favorite album of all time. I'm 
so happy that this exists and also incredibly grateful that you guys brought me on um, to talk about this as much as I was a little, a little jerk sometimes. Um, thank you very much. Um, we did roast you at the beginning. You did roast me pretty good. On a on a couple like on a couple episodes, but yeah, including, this album, including this episode, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, Cradle to Grave. I think it's just perfect. Every song I love so much. I have an emotional attachment to every single song. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like I, it sounds again very corny, but I'm getting emotional just talking about it, just because how much this album, how much time I spent listening to this album. Um, it's just fantastic and. Again, thank you guys for for having me on. And I think this is such a perfect group of people, the four of us, to talk about this is kind of like the last episode. Um, And yeah, congratulations to you guys for an incredible show that you guys have put on here. I've I've enjoyed being part of it and I've enjoyed listening to it. This has been fantastic. I didn't know how you guys could have possibly put together like, it's probably been like 20 plus hours of content of just talking about Radiohead. Um, Wrapping up on the third hour here of just an album about OK Computer where we've had to like pull ourselves rip ourselves away from talking about it from track to track. So, but yeah, thank you guys so much. This has been fantastic. This is amazing. Um, I hope that, you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe they'll release another album one day. That's, that's worthy of doing a three hour podcast on. I doubt it. I don't know if any band will do that, but yeah, thanks again. Well, well t- tell you what, if they do, uh, we'll invite both of you back for that. Yeah. album. Yeah, It has sure. seriously been an honor. I'm so honored to be on here with all three of y'all. Y'all yeah. it's, yeah, three of my most beloved friends joining me to talk about some of my favorite art. It's it, it really has it's really been amazing and um it's been quite a journey even just this episode. <laughs> but um I mean like the the one of our original you know launching points for doing this podcast was Radiohead is something that has really brought us together with a lot of our friends and you you two are no exception and I'm I'm very happy for it because you all are the best everybody here so thank you thank you for being a part of it and and thanks yeah. for uh bearing with the technical difficulties going late into the night it's it's been amazing yeah you guys um, fucking you guys fucking nailed it yeah it's awesome i'll say um joe or julia do any of either of you have anything you would like to plug or promote or direct people to um well what actually with the pauses i uh <laughs> you're the just problem a, is we have we now have two other people that are waiting on each other to respond we've never done this in the podcast before <laughs> so i mean i'll plug um two things so actually i'll plug three things um so the first thing i just uh, got promoted in my new band to bass player which i'm super excited about from um, guitar player from, <laughs> from guitar <laughs> Joe, I hate to break it to you. No, is that how they sold it to you? It was <laughs> no, it was a very willing and conscious decision for it. Um, I I haven't had a lot of time. I've actually been doing, as you guys know, a couple other music projects and stuff. Um, but I haven't played bass in a band, and I basically raised my hand and said, you know, I'd love to play bass. Um, which is which is great. Um, and uh, that's what, one wait, thing. What's the name of your band? Oh, River Wild is the name of the band. So th- they've been playing music for, um, I don't know, 10 years or something like that here in New York. And um, yeah, lots of good. St- it's very like 80s sounding, um, very radio friendly type music. If you guys want to check it out, go ahead. But um, yeah, great, great, 
great sounds, great music. Then the other thing, of course, is the music project that we just wrapped up. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about it. I haven't been on since we actually have to plug four things. We've mentioned it, I think, before. We've talked about we Remote Hope, to, which is uh... like, yeah. We talked about it before the cabin, but just a few months ago, we did a music project with um, eight of us, including three of us on the no, all actually, four, all four of all us. Of us. Yeah, yeah, all four of us have had all of us. All of, of us are all of us are part of the album. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So we uh, pretty much locked ourselves in a cabin for four days and recorded a bunch of music that we had been recording remotely and writing remotely for about six months or so. And that is uh, still getting mixed. It probably will take a couple months. We're going to do like a short documentary. Mac, I owe you um, some of those videos for like the, the interviews and whatnot. But oh, look yeah. for that. Look for that soon. I promise I'll reach out to those guys and make sure they, they get all that. I could have uh, sworn RC said this past weekend he was going to be mixing. But uh, yeah, just... that, that was like three weekends ago. He's like way behind the, the eight ball. Um, the other thing is... <laughs> Mike and I did a Christmas album, which Mike, I don't know if we talked about because the last time I was on here was the um, the Creeps episode the week before Christmas. That episode got released on Christmas Eve and we didn't talk. Oh, about you're it. right. That's right. So our Christmas album, it's it was four tracks. It's mm-hmm. it's very fun. It's very nice. There's two originals and then two covers. One is written by me. One is written by Mike. And we both yeah recorded them independently and then recorded Ooh, five, five tracks. There's there's an original oh, that we the, both worked on. There is another original <laughs> that we worked on together. It's called Ain't Nobody No Christmas Like Joe and Mike, which is also the name of the album. So check that out. Ain't nobody no Christmas like Joe and Mike. Ain't nobody. Ain't nobody. Have a merry, 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 merry Christmas. On Bandcamp, Joe and Mike is the name of the band. And then the last thing, I've been recording my own music. I just released a song a few weeks ago. It's called Ohio. It's incredibly Ohio, baby. Cool. It's incredibly uh, corny. Um, but it's, you know, just I'm just getting my feet wet in terms of write, uh, releasing music because I have a ton of music written. Anyway, check that one out. Sorry for the big plug. I think that took about five minutes. Anyway, that's, that's joekoshar.bandcamp.com. Every time I'm on here, I never plug anything. I finally got something to plug. No, that's fu- that's fine. So, you made up for, for all the times that you didn't sure, have something to plug. Sure. So, and my, uh, and my company, I, just started, I started a company recently too. <laughs> I, I've listened to Ohio. I don't like that you diss Ohio so much, but it's I don't a great track. Diss Ohio. It's just about my weird mixed feelings about Ohio and how everybody should move to New York. That's Been it. there, right. done that. <laughs> All right, Julia. Do you have any plugs? Anything we should know about? Um, <clears throat> I don't think so. If you're ever in Chattanooga, come eat at Kimmy's. It's the restaurant I manage. So. Uh, are are you writing anything at all, or any is there anything out there that listeners can go and read? Um, I'm I am writing. You can probably purchase some issues of magazines with some stuff in it. Um, if you want to purchase a copy of the Crab Creek Review with my name in it, feel free to do so. Do you do you have like previous poetry that you've posted anywhere? Um. Pretty much if you do a deep Google search of me, then you'll find something. But uh, 
Well, you'll find a lot of things. <laughs> can you can you give me a, a little bit more of my old poetry? But I, I haven't put anything out on the internet. I don't have a, like a blog or anything. So I'm gonna tell you what it looks like when I type in Julia Rocks. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh sh- well, a lot of pictures come up. Well, you're the first two pictures at really? least. Uh, you are, yeah. Uh, here's a my good. JVC moment, Julia Rock. Oh, okay. let's not go into that. Okay, there's also a Tekken Seven, the video game Tekken Seven, Rock's knee versus first hand Rang Chu, <laughs> the 2018 Finals Losers Finals. <laughs> Take a look. So uh, you'll have to uh, uh, parse out uh, definitely what you think is more towards uh, the actual Julia Rocks we've had on this podcast. Uh, probably check out the Tekken video. That seems relevant. Well, yeah, I was I was going to plug uh, the Tekken 7 losers bracket, but I guess <laughs> someone's already done that. So I like that it's it's called the Finals Losers Finals. <laughs> the Finals Losers Finals. Mike, I just thought of something real quick. You were talking about searching on the internet. Remember the website? called michaeldriscoll.com that was a real estate <laughs> website and it had this like it, it was like i don't know of many websites anymore that like you go to it and a song plays yeah and you go to it and they're just <laughs> do, 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 i think do, i've do, checked do, this before i i gotta check and see if it's okay. it's not there okay. i just looked for it let's wrap this up please <laughs> all right uh so uh plugs i i also pr- uh plug remote hope um there's no reason to not plug um ollie the soundtrack just came out for max film hell yeah ollie, i'm not the one who stayed right at your side do i deserve to say Check out um, Ollie. You can find that on Bandcamp. What is it? Ollie.bandcamp.com? Ollifilm.bandcamp.com. Or if you go to my personal website, MacHoskins.com, click on the audio tab that has all the music and podcasting I've done. And the first thing on the audio tab is the Ollie soundtrack link. Nice. I'm also, I am recording and hopefully releasing an album in May. So that's the other thing. Uh, yeah, well, Mike, uh, Mike brought up some of my plugs there, but, um, yeah, um, I'm working on a new for Elise album. I started on yesterday, which is my kind of solo moniker. So that's in the future though. Um, but funny enough, uh, the first, ep- first episode of this podcast we recorded, I had just left my job that day and, um, uh, my job I found after that has just wrapped up. So if you want to hire me to do your video production work or editing or anything like that, um, all my info is on MacHoskins.com. You can watch some of the stuff I've done, which includes a promo for uh, Mike's album Costume King that I'm very proud of. Um, and again, yeah, you can find the soundtrack to my film Ollie under the audio tab there. You can buy that or listen to that. Um, and the film Ollie um, will hopefully be at some film festivals later this year. Um, and that's another thing I'm very proud of. So keep an eye out for that. You'll see me there featured. <laughs> yes, Julia is in the film <laughs> as an extra and a uh, musical performer. Um, and Mike also arranged a lot of the music for it and wrote one of the songs. Um, but that's all I got. Well, everybody, it's it's a late night, especially for you guys. You're in a different time zone than I am. So thank you for holding out this long. We're over three hours long. This is by far our longest episode, but it's going to be a beautiful send off. And I'm 
I'm happy to have done this with all of you. So thank you for being a part of it, guys. Well, and thank, thank you for you. those who have consistently listened. Yeah. Shout out to um, my friend Travis from Kentucky, Travis Cooper, who I think every single episode has texted me and told me, like, dude, this was, like, so funny or, like, I loved this part. And, like, texted me and was, like, thanks for recommending the Scott Walker tracks. So, like, thank you, Travis, for listening. I don't know. I know that's just, like, my friend who listens to the podcast, but it, it means a lot to, to have some dedicated listeners out there. So thank you. Um, well, with that, um, this is our last episode for the foreseeable future. So everybody listening from your cars, from your headphones, uh, from your homes, from your places of work, um, one last time, thank you for listening in. Bye-bye. Professional goof Matt Baker here signing in. Just want to wish Mac and Mike a happy 20-year anniversary. It's on the show. All good things have to come to an end. All radios have to head. Gonna miss you guys. You guys have been killing it year after year, but you gotta go out on top, boys. So I wish you all the best. Hey, boys. This is Ryan. Your friend that you invited on to do the Benz episode, as well as the Pablo Honey episode, you may remember me. I just want to say that it's been cool listening to what y'all do. I'm glad someone is out there making a Radiohead podcast. And I'm even more happy that it's YouTube. Come on, fellas. Hey, guys. What's up? It's Eli. Uh, my roommate locked me in the basement again for stealing his peanut butter, so now I have to listen to Feels So Good by Chuck Mangione on repeat for three hours. Uh, but y'all clearly have uh, a great depth of passion and knowledge for Radiohead. And your podcast has turned me on to ideas and perspectives about their music that I never would have considered. And any experience that can open people's minds to new ways of hearing music is worth doing, and doubly worth listening to, and you did that extremely well. So congrats on a great show, and I love you bunches. And the Grubnar episode was fucking stupid. Hey guys, it's Grubnar. Thank you so much for making the podcast I listen to my iPhone. I'll never forget when Mac first asked me to be on the show. I was out in the coal mines, getting some coal, mining some coal. He called me, and I just ran right out of there. I got right to my nearest computer, and I practiced and rehearsed the show over and over again. I'll never forget those days. That was the last day I ever coal mined, so I could be on someone listening in. I'm going to miss you guys. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's just Mac and Mike here. We're, uh, we thought we'd send this episode off with just a little a little wrap-up between the two of us. Uh, so, we've done the thing. Uh, we've talked about all of Radiohead's albums on here. We've talked about some side projects, some detours. I mean, pretty much everything we wanted to talk about, I think. There's there's other paths we can go down. You know, there's there's more Johnny Greenwood scores. There's more 
unreleased material, more more Tom solo material, Phil solo material. But you know, at the end of the day, I think I think we've 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 talked about everything we want to talk about. And Mike, if you if you feel the same way, I feel like we're kind of at the natural endpoint, and it's ending while I'm still happy with it. And I think that's good. So, uh, what what are your your thoughts on on where we're ending this podcast? Well, I agree. You know, I, I think we set out um, to basically do just what we did. You know, from the beginning, we knew that this wasn't going to be an incredibly analytical podcast, but um, just I, I've gotten uh, to really enjoy having a lot of conversations about this um, on this podcast and e- each album, you know, in discussion, learning a little bit more about uh, Radiohead, but also how different people have been affected by it. So, and to to me, that's I, I think a personal victory is just uh, seeing that come to fruition. Because at the end of the day, we're we're just Radiohead enthusiasts and fans, and to get to to share that with other people is a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally agree. I mean, it's a it's a thing that a band that means a lot to me and uh, has meant a lot to me and is kind of, uh, I mean, one of those things that's been a part of my friendships with everybody that we've had on. And I mean, to, to me, this is just like a celebration of, of friendship and even more so than like the art that we love. And this band that we love is like having, having my friends on to just talk and like it very clearly was uh, something that was just very personal to, to me that I, that I wanted to do. And, I uh, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a few years now, and I think this was a uh, a great first first foray into it. Yeah, and I, and I don't think this will be the last uh, podcast that we do because you know bo- mm. you know both of us have enjoyed this uh, a great deal. It's been a good opportunity to work with you on this, and uh, I know there's a lot more stuff out there that we feel just as passionately about. So as soon as we lock down what that next idea is going to be, uh, I'd be happy to start this back up. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, Mike and I have talked a good bit off air about continuing to do a podcast because it's it's a lot of fun it's unfortunately the topic we picked kind of has this point where there's not where you know you've covered everything you can talk about so we're taking around some ideas hopefully something that could go on a little more indefinitely that doesn't uh not as limited by by the content and um sorry my laundry timer just went off uh excuse me um Something that's not as limited by the content, but something that we're still passionate about. And uh, another thing that we learned is that uh, editing a podcast and hosting a podcast uh, takes a lot of time and work. Who knew? So uh, maybe maybe we'll find a way to kind of kind of streamline it, make it make it something that uh, that we can put out a little faster. Which we took a big break in between uh, seasons one and season two because we kind of needed it to catch up and then bank up more episodes. And mm-hmm. but it was a learning experience. We learned the ins and outs and. Uh, this is uh, just the beginning, I think. Well, and that being said, um, you know, there's there's a, a decent amount that goes into it, but we should say it relatively painless overall. And something that we've maybe never talked about on the podcast is the um, the hosting site that we use, which is uh, Zencaster. Um, and we should give credit to this website because it is it's it's very easy to you know just log on and have two people in different areas of the world. Uh, do a podcast so that's made it pretty easy yeah zencaster.com if you want to make a podcast it's uh 
very easy to do. We've used it for every single episode. It's it's extremely simple, and that's how we've got like Mike and I are in different states. A lot of times, our guest is in a separate state as well, and it's it's flawless every time. So that's good. But yeah, we we uh, you know thank you to SoundCloud hosting on SoundCloud. Uh, thanks to our boys Radiohead for making the music and uh, having to put this put this out. And uh, you know, Mike, we've 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 collaborated on a lot of things through the years, and this this is one of those things that was just like a new uh, venture into a new medium for both of us. And I uh, there's there's no one else I would have rather done it with. And I'm sure that you and I will talk about Radiohead for many more hours in person. <laughs> Oh yeah, the, the conversation's not over. the the parts yeah. The parts that go on the podcast are an edited version of what we could basically talk about for hours and hours and hours. So, absolutely. And you know, I th- I think I think we should uh, keep the conversation open. And you know, if uh, next time there's you know some new Tom York music, new new Radiohead music, something like that, maybe we'll uh, we'll do, we'll do a little comeback episode here. We'll we'll see what happens. But but who's well, to say when that's going to happen? And arguably more importantly, uh, if Limp Biscuit. It's still writing music in the future. Yeah. Hey, we're we're there to report on it. Yeah. Also, just so I don't think I even told Mike this, but one of one bit I rejected for the last episode that you just heard is um, instead of OK Computer, if we reviewed Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, <laughs> so then I was like, I don't want to make our guests listen to that. <laughs> so, so that I I decided not to pursue that bit, but I think we got some good bits in, so I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, well, uh, I I think that's that's about all I have to say on this. Um, I, I yeah, want to thank all of uh, our listeners for listening, all of our guests for coming on, um, Eli, Julia, Joe, Ryan, um, Andrea, Matt. Uh, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Yeah, and Grubnar, thanks Grubnar for making yeah. his appearances. Grubnar, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's been fun. It's also been fun <laughs> writing comedy bits, which <laughs> I had never gotten to do before, really, and put out in a in a format. So that's been good. But uh, well, yeah, we don't need to uh to to uh make this too long too long of a uh wrap up here. So I think I'm I'm happy to leave it with that. If you are, Mike, I think that's uh that's all I really need to say at this point. Yeah, I'm sad it's over, but I'm I'm ready to to move on to the next thing. And if there's another Radiohead album in the future, we'll be there to cover it. Yeah, so so this is not the last you've heard from uh from either of us or the two of us together. And we'll have uh we'll put some art out there too if you're uh, keeping up with that. So anyway, um yes, truly thanks to you thank you to everybody who listened. I I've had uh I mean mostly my friends obviously text me and and say like I yeah, I listen to this every time. It's good like this bit was funny and even that like like means means a lot to me so thanks to all my friends who who haven't listened out there and have supported us so that that's i think that's all we have so again thank you so so much thank you for listening thank you for subscribing and giving us your time and hopefully you were entertained by some of it and thank you for listening in goodbye Roll that outro track. Bye bye. There's someone listening. Mm. Uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, Mike. 
Mike, what's wrong? Uh, we were doing a podcast. We talked about Radiohead and Limp Biscuit, and there was an enormous, terrifying monster who wanted to eat me. I think his name was Joe. Mike, it was just a bad dream. There's no such thing as a podcast. What are you talking about? You mean, but it was all a dream? None of it happened? Look, we all have nightmares sometimes. It's okay. But it seems so real. Just don't worry about it. I'm tired. Let's go back to sleep. All right, all right. Whatever you say. Good night. Good night. Hello. Check, 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 check. That sounds good, Mike. I'm going to stop recording and listen to myself.